Hello, and welcome to Kickout 299. I'm Rachel, my pronouns are they, them, and I am ready to jake it easy. My name is Alicia, and my pronouns are she, her. I'm really excited that for the third installment of our rival series, we are going to be talking about not just two rivals, but a group of four that are very close to my heart. Kento Miyahara, Jake Lee, Naya Nomura, and Yuma Aoyagi of All Japan Pro Wrestling, who are well known as the first generation of Nextstream, a faction that has become integral to contemporary All Japan. In this two-parter, we are going to explore the very important concept in pro wrestling writ large of making a rival, which actually comes from something Jinsei Shinzaki once said to Keno, and I'm going to read Keno's quote about that advice as it does lay the framework for much of what we'll discuss over the next two episodes. What I remember most is the expression, you have to make a rival. Looking back on that now, I think it is true. Speaking of pro wrestling Noah, Misawa, Kobashi, Tawe, Akiyama, they all fought as rivals, and that has been a critical piece of history. That concept of making a rival is integral to understanding the story of Next Dream 1.0, but also Kento's role as the young ace of all Japan and his need to create a new generation of rivals for himself as he rose to prominence. In this episode, we are going to talk about Kento and Jake's early lives, explore the origins of Next Dream, and walk through Kento and Jake's rivalry. In part two, we will discuss Kento and Naoya and Kento and Yuma's relationships. Throughout, I hope that we illustrate that while Next Dream the Faction has changed dramatically since it began in 2015, the stories these four have created together are some of the very best you can find in this industry, and no matter where these four choose to wrestle, what they started together will continue on and on and remain just as poignant and impactful as when they began. Our sources for this episode are numerous and all will be included in our work cited on our blog, but I want to specifically mention the works that Kana translated for us, which include an article on Nextstream from the October 19th, 2016 issue of Shukan Perez, issue number 1872, and Kento Miyahara's biography interview and Q&A from his 2020 photo book. Kana's contact information will be in our show notes and on our blog please consider her if you are in the market for translation work. She is incredible to work with. And a massive, massive thank you to Rachel for all of their time and hard work in translating the rest of our sources, which have added so much to this episode. We are going to start with Miyahara Kento, who was born on February 27, 1989 in Fukuoka City, Fukuoka Prefecture in Japan. A fun fact is that both of Kento seniors in Kensuke Sasaki and Katsuhiko Nakajima are also from Fukuoka. He grew up with his parents and a brother that is two years older than him, and I've seen him mention this brother directly. I've also read that he has a sister four years older than him. I just can't verify information about her firsthand. When asked in his 2020 photo book interview what he was like as a child, he said he was a restless child, and his mother was always saying, you need to calm down. To be honest, it doesn't seem like much has changed because he describes himself as restless and impatient to this day. Kento's dad was always a Paresu fan and Kento was really influenced by his dad's love of wrestling very early on in his life. He remembers that wrestling came to Fukuoka about twice a year and he was always at those shows. When he was little, Kento was pretty thin, so he really admired people he perceived as being big and strong very early on in his childhood. His first heroes were athletes who played rugby or participated in sumo or Japanese pro wrestling. 
One of Kento's biggest influences as a performer comes from his childhood love of professional wrestler Hulk Hogan. He was also very interested in performers like Randy Savage and Ultimate Warrior. And I think you can see how these three American performers have shaped his in-ring persona to some degree and the way he presents himself as a showman. Kento recalled that other than attending live performances, he would go to the video rental store and rent all of the tapes available there. The Perosu section was very small, so he says he watched everything they had in stock relatively quickly. Kento had and appears to still have a very large circle of friends that stem back to his elementary school years, but none of them were very interested in wrestling. He described himself as bossy, and he would force large groups of friends to come to shows with them, but he ultimately calls them plebs, people just interested in whatever the popular thing was at the time, and it was never wrestling. Kento does make a point to say that 30 of his friends came to his first homecoming show as a professional wrestler later on in his life, but now his friends are so used to him being a relatively well-known performer, only one at the most will come see him perform these days due to family and work commitments, he guesses. <laughs> Sounds so bitter. <laughs> there was a tone of saltiness in, you could, that was coming through in the photo book. But jumping back to when he was a child, Kento was the sort of young fan who would wait outside venues and hotels to try to meet wrestlers. He was really into this and always keeping an eye out for where the buses were parked. If you follow him on social media or have some older issues of Shoe Pro that feature his now defunct column, you've seen his childhood photos of wrestlers like Stan Hansen and even Rob Van Dam amongst many others. Kento knew from about middle school on that he wanted to be a professional wrestler, but he did join the baseball club since that's the activity all his friends were doing. He describes his dream to be a professional wrestler at the time as vague because he wasn't taking active steps to be one yet. However, during his first year of high school, he joined the judo club because he came across what he describes as a Parasu pamphlet, but I'm assuming it was a magazine. And it seemed like most professional wrestlers featured in the text had a wrestling background or a judo background. So he went with judo. He wasn't going in cold, though. He had been to the local dojo and done a class here and there, but it had just been for fun. This was an entirely different experience, though, because everyone in the high school judo club was next level compared to where Kento was, and he was losing to much more experienced and skilled girls. He notes that he learned he couldn't use physical strength to win, which is truly the basis of judo and Brazilian jiu-jitsu anyway. But in true Kento form, he was completely undaunted by this humbling experience. He mentions the term kanjigai, which means to have a wrong belief, more or less. He uses this term a lot to describe himself, even going so far as to say he is made up of 20% kanjigai, or overconfidence in himself, believing that he can do something when all the evidence points to the contrary. He wasn't trying to be a judo champion, and not being good at judo was not going to stop him from his goal of becoming a professional wrestler. Kento trained in judo until his third year of high school and then started muscle training and lifting. He describes himself as the sort that won't start doing something until it feels realistic, even if some would consider his third year of high school late for starting muscle training. Nevertheless, he started searching online for dojo entrance tests, and that is how he discovered Akira Hokuto and Kensuke Sasaki's Kensuke office. He got in contact with them, sent his resume, booked a private entry test, and took the bullet train five hours to Saitama from Fukuoka without telling his parents or friends what he was doing. He doesn't remember how he paid for the fares, but he imagines he saved up his pocket money to be able to do this. And this is where Kento suffered his first real failure. He bombed the fitness test, which was administered by Kensuke Sasaki and Masa Saito. 
due to his guy, he really did think he was going to go down there and pass the test, but he could barely get through the squats. Kento said being in the dojo in front of two people he knew from wrestling made him nervous, and he did worse than he might have otherwise. He said they understood his eagerness toward becoming a professional wrestler, but his skill level was not acceptable yet. Afterward, he could barely walk to get back home, but when he got on the train, he really had time to reflect on this failure. Kento had spent his third year of high school, a critical year for deciding what to do with your immediate future, lying to his teachers about applying to university, and his parents had even paid for two university applications he knew he wouldn't be submitting. His friends were already getting accepted to university, so knowing he had just failed the entrance test to Kensuke office was a tough moment for him. But from this point, he knew that the only thing he could do was pursue his dream of being a professional wrestler with even more conviction than before. Having taken the test once, he knew what to expect, so he worked hard to increase the amount of squats he could do each day until he could do 1,000 a day, and then he would do 1,000 squats a day for three months. This is a huge improvement from the 300 or so he got through in front of Sasaki and Saito-san. He would practice his squats in a local gym every day while his friends lined up spots in universities or jobs. Kento said at this time period, I did feel left behind and lonely, but I still had that weird belief that I was different from all the rest. Like, you guys are just ordinary, but I am going to be a superstar. Hensky office announced a public tryout during his third year, and he went and took the test again. This time, he did at least tell his parents where he was going. Thankfully, Kento passed on the spot, but his reaction to gaining admittance to the dojo was actually really interesting. As a longtime fan of wrestling, he knew how difficult dojo life was and how people often quit, so he treated this victory like he had become a quote-unquote temporary club member. I love this whole story. I really do. I love um, that he failed and then became um, almost single-mindedly determined to join Kensuke office after that. Like it couldn't be anything else. I think he mentioned in, in an interview um, that it, it had to be Kensuke office at that point. Cause he had to like redeem himself. Yeah. It's, it's just all really, really good. And I liked um, what you had said about him being the sort of person who won't do something until it like feels realistic and I really like that and actually in an interview with uh, Mugiko Ozaki uh, Nakajima had said something like that about um, Miyahara as well that he um, is the type of person who only does things when it's the right time to do them uh, which I had always assumed referred to like practice menus but it's interesting that it sort of refers to every aspect of his life as you see that here and and it's also something to be said about, you know, doing things when it's right and doing things at the time that, you know, you want to. We've talked about um, Suwama, Sugiura, people who start wrestling late. Like there, there is no too late. It's when it's right, it's right. Yeah, I think that's sort of, um, it, it leads into his whole kanji guy, right? And I was yeah. so like, I love that we got to learn this term through these translations. These were the translations that Kana did for us. Yeah. And Kana was instrumental in explaining the concept because Kento uses the word differently, I think, than like some of the standard meaning of the word. So yeah, it's it's, it's just, it's fascinating. Um, but yeah, that, that leans into his kanji guy is that like, you know, even if it's not necessarily the way that other people would do it, he's going to do it when he's ready to do it because he believes no matter what, that he's going to make it work because that's the overconfidence that he has in himself that he's always had in himself. What I've found through working on um, 
this uh, this project, I guess, these episodes is that Kento is probably the most consistent person that we've ever looked at like this um, across the board. I mean, I like, you can look at, you know, com- or rather quotes from him from like six years ago and then look at stuff from like yesterday. There's such a consistency. He doesn't really change in that way. But like this was so instrumental in kind of understanding that. Yeah, no, it's really impressive when I think we'll probably bring that up a little bit later as well, but um, that he's just very consistent. But yeah, I I love the term conch guy. You can definitely see it in him. And I liked Kana's uh, explanation that it's like a misunderstanding of yourself, like a overconfidence in yourself. Because when I tried to translate it, the closest I could get was like delusions of grandeur, um, which isn't totally right with Kento. Like he's just confident enough to push him to get to a point where he is what he he wants to be even if it's a little too much at that time absolutely so kento's high school graduation ceremony was on march 1st 2007 and he entered the kensuke office dojo on march 4th kento describes dojo life the way just about any trainee describes it across any of the dojos in japan From age 18 to 23, he was in a communal living situation in the dorm and shared a room with another trainee, their bed separated by a curtain, so they didn't have much privacy. They were not allowed to go out all that much, so he would make up excuses to stay out an extra 15 minutes longer when he would be responsible for purchasing ingredients for Chonkonabe, like saying he would need to go to a grocery store that was further away because the closer one was closed that day. This is such a, a specific and interesting part of his personality that comes up again and again in the photo book, which is hilarious. Kento said that he knew what to expect because he was a wrestling fan and he understood why some people quit, but that he never once considered quitting himself because he knew he was going to be a professional wrestler no matter what. Even when he saw his friends experiencing coming of age day in Japan, Kento felt a little bit of loneliness, but that was quickly replaced with the thought that all his friends might be having fun right now, but in a few years, he was going to be a superstar. That feeling that he would be a star was a huge motivator for him during his dojo days. Kento said, I want more young people to have that kind of feeling. Living in a group, there are senpais that you have to show respect for. And of course, there are some senpais who boss you around and say stuff like, get me this, get me that. Even at times like these, I used to think, just you wait, just you wait five years. I will be a bigger superstar than you. Ha ha. (laughs) God. (laughs) Oh my God. Anyway, even after Kendo debuted for Kensuke office in a match against, at the time, All Japan Seiya Sonata on February 11, 2008 in Corrigan Hall, Kento didn't have a lot of freedom from the dojo and said he killed off, quote unquote, a few family members to go back home and get some time away. He thought he was quite clever for this, mind you. It really comes across when you're reading through the translations from the photo book. Once he was able to stop living at the dojo, he really enjoyed sleeping alone again and having his own space. In working with Kensuke office, Kento was able to participate in pro wrestling Noah and spent the first few years of his career wrestling on their cards along with his senior Katsuhiko Nakajima, amongst others. Kento had been pegged as the next Kensuke Sasaki and a very promising future star. In February 2013, Kento entered into a storyline with the faction Voodoo Murders. He turned heel, joined their faction, and rebelled against Kensuke Office, then known as Diamond Ring. During the storyline, he feuded head-on with Nakajima and Sasaki. In August 2013, it was announced that Kento would participate in All Japan's Royal Road Tournament the following month, and then in September, Kento would announce he was leaving Diamond Ring and going freelance. 
On November 14th, a press conference was held by Voodoo Murders to announce that Kento was leaving the faction to fully focus on All Japan, which made sense because he was already forming an alliance with Go Shiozaki. In a little bit, I'm going to mention the blog that Kento still keeps, like one of those Abema blogs, but he has this post from the time period thanking Voodoo Murders for everything that they did for him during that time period. It's actually really interesting to look at in hindsight. On November 21st, Shiyazaki, Kento, Kotor Suzuki, and Atsushi Aoki formed the new faction Exceed. Kento and Shio made it to the finals of the 2013 Real World Tag League, but were defeated by Suwama and Joe Doring on December 8th in Bodymaker Coliseum No. 2. In January 2014, Kento signed full-time with All Japan Pro Wrestling. Kento received his first Triple Crown title shot relatively quickly against reigning champion Akebono on March 18th in Korokin. On August 16th of that year, also in Korokin, Kento won his first professional title when he and Kotor Suzuki defeated Team Dream Futures, Keisuke Ishii, and Shigehiro Irie for the All-Asia Tag Team titles, which they held for 140 days. Kento would go on to pick up the World Tag Team Championships with Shio on May 6, 2015 in Korokin, but they would hold the belts for three defenses in 145 days before relinquishing the titles due to Shiyazaki leaving All Japan at the end of September. With Kotaro Suzuki announcing his departure from All Japan in November, Exceed was officially disbanded. It is with this dissolution of Exceed that Kento began to emerge as the rising young ace of All Japan. Before we talk about Jake Lee, I am going to share some Kento quotes and Q&A information from his 2020 photo book. There's this great quote that I shared on Twitter recently, and something that comes up in the photo book is that Mickey Mouse is his current rival. And I want to share with you this quote again, because it really does say so much about Kento. I don't think there's a big difference between Disneyland and Parisu. My goal, my final form is Disneyland. I want to become the Disneyland to my viewers. I say this a lot, but Mickey Mouse is my rival. There's only one Mickey Mouse in the world, right? I want to be like Mickey Mouse. So he's really saying that he wants to be this larger than life singular figure. He wants to be the only Kento Miyahara because there's only one Mickey Mouse. That's what he's saying. When you think of All Japan Pro Wrestling, like you would think of Disney, Mickey Mouse is synonymous with Disney. He wants All Japan to become synonymous with Kento Miyahara. That is his goals. He's talked about that in the press even as recently as his most recent Triple Crown reign. I thought it was interesting that the person that conducted his Q&A in the photo book asked him, what else other than Kanchigai have you cherished in order to become a champion? And he said, I wonder, I always have dreams beyond imagination when it comes to Purasu. A long time ago when I was running with a mate, I said, I'm going to become a champion one day. To which he said, only a handful of people make it. When he said that, I wondered why such a young guy would say something like that. I don't understand the feelings of people who think that way. So you really get this very, very stark picture of how he thinks. He has a goal in his mind and he's going to achieve that goal no matter what. He doesn't understand people who don't think of themselves as being the champion, as being the best. That's the only way that he can think of himself. Something else I found really interesting is that he never feels satisfied after a match. He's never been satisfied with a match. The interviewer asked him, don't you ever feel like that was a good match today? And he said, no, I might be about 70% satisfied, but the other 30% is reflection towards the next match. And the interviewer asked, are you the type to always get a bit ahead of yourself? And he said, yes, I'm missing out on life, right? I should probably taste a bit more satisfaction. So I thought that was just very, very interesting about Kento. I mentioned this on Twitter as well, but his hobby is dance. He likes to dance. Um, He also really likes K-pop music and idol music in general, which you can get a sense of from his Instagram. 
something he thinks that he's better than everyone else at in wrestling is his quote unquote mic appeal. So the way that he can speak to people on the mic. Um, if he had one wish that could come true, what would he want? He would want to become a wee idol is how that was phrased. He's talking about literally a small bodied idol, which is funny because Kento is not a small bodied person. Um, but that's, that's what he said. Um, if he could be someone else for a day, who would he want to be and what he, what did he want to do? He said an idol and a concert, but the distinction there is that he was referring to a female idol, literally like a, like a female idol group is what he would want to be in and do for a day. So that was fascinating. When asked how people describe him, he said he used the, um, the kanji for bright, um, in Japanese bright means cheerful or positive. It doesn't mean smart, like the connotations that that word has in the West. So people would describe him as cheerful or positive. And he was asked again, what type of person do you think you are? And he said impatient, which he says like four times in that Q and A, he thinks that he's very impatient, which I think comes across in his personality really well. Most of the time. I also thought it was interesting that his favorite movie is stand by me because it's only interesting in that everyone from like his age group says the same thing. So there you go. If you were wondering <laughs> what his favorite movie is. It's Stand By Me. And now we'll move on to talking about Jake Lee. Ichik Young was born on January 19th, 1989 in Kitami, Hokkaido, Japan. Hokkaido, for those unfamiliar, is Japan's second largest island and comprises the largest and northernmost prefecture. Of course, we know Jake by his gimmick name, Jake Lee, and while he began his pro wrestling career under his birth name and didn't adopt his gimmick name until 2015, I'm going to stick to referring to him as Jake the whole way through the episode. Jake grew up in what he has described as a mother-son household or a single-parent household. He is Zainichi Korean, and while I do not want to speak for Jake and his experiences, I do want to add some context to what that means. Please keep in mind that I cannot cover all that there is to know about Zenji Koreans or the history between Japan and Korea in an episode like this, but I do encourage you to do your research on this history and Zenji Korean people because it is vitally important to be informed. In our work cited on the Kickout blog, you will find many helpful resources, including academic articles. Zenichi Koreans are ethnic Korean permanent residents of Japan, and this term usually refers specifically to Koreans who came to Japan during its colonial rule over Korea and their descendants. When Japan colonized Korea in 1910, Koreans were forced to accept Japanese citizenship and around 700,000 Koreans were forcefully displaced to Japan as laborers. After Japan's defeat in World War II, Korea became independent again and Koreans living in Japan were liberated people. But in 1947, Japan made them subject to the Alien Registration Law, and at the San Francisco Peace Treaty in 1952, Japan officially abandoned its territorial claim to Korea. But Koreans living in Japan were stripped of their Japanese citizenship. This is when you begin to see the term Zainichi used to describe them. As a term, it means living or residing in Japan, but it is meant to indicate that these are temporary people, foreigners, or even strangers in Japan, despite their permanent residence status, and with many second and third Zenichi Koreans never knowing Korea. There are roughly 480,000 Zenichi Koreans in Japan today, making them the second largest group of foreign residents, though I have seen other figures that would still make them the largest. The Zenichi have experienced historical racism, oppression, and systemic discrimination in Japan, and you can find many articles online from second and third generation Zenichi Korean people talking about their lives and experiences, in addition to those who are working to tell the story of first generation Zenichi as well. It would be impossible for me to touch on everything there is to know in this episode, and I want to be very clear that I am still constantly reading and learning, but I will share a few things. 
the ethnic Korean school system within Japan is still discriminated against on multiple levels when it comes to government funding and job and education prospects for Zainichi students post-graduation. A man in Osaka was sentenced in December 2022 for breaking into a Korean school and setting a fire that caused damage. He said in court that he developed hatred for Zainichi Koreans after reading social media posts stating that the group was a threat to the Japanese people. The judge in that case, against the statements made by the prosecution, refused to acknowledge that the defendant had committed a hate crime in his sentencing. There have been police-protected anti-Zainichi demonstrations across Japan and in places like Kawasaki, which is home to many Zainichi, as recently as 2015. The good news is that many Zainichi and Japanese people pushed back on those widespread hateful demonstrations and some change occurred locally, but Japan has been slow to adopt meaningful anti-discrimination laws. There is a long history of activism amongst Zainichi Koreans who have had to protest and fight in the courts for the right to work for Japanese companies, receive national health insurance, earn pensions, and work as civil servants. There is a heartbreaking article from the New York Times in 2005 about a 55-year-old nurse who was told by the Supreme Court that because of her Zainichi or foreign status, she could not take the test to become a supervisor at a public health center. She had lived in Japan her entire life, and her story is quite common. To this day, the Zainichi do not have the right to vote in elections, again, because they are considered foreigners. There are complex issues around identity and assimilation into Japanese society. Some Zainichi describe growing up afraid to share their ethnicity and Korean names with Japanese classmates and neighbors for fear of discrimination. Some Zainichi choose to live with their Korean names publicly, and others choose to use Japanese names and not speak about their Korean ethnicities. The process of nationalizing is long and also complex. Some Zainichi choose to nationalize and others do not. I highly recommend you spend some time reading about the Zainichi, their history, and what their lives are like today. Again, there will be a robust list of resources for you to check out on the Kickout blog. Returning to Jake's story, he did attend a Korean school in Hokkaido for his primary, middle, and high school education. We referenced this school in an episode of Talking Triple Crown in 2022 because Jake had gone back to speak there, but some of you will remember his school was the subject of a documentary called Our School, which was released in 2007 and meant to show the lives of ethnic Korean students at a Changgyeon-run school. Changgyeon is one of the main organizations for Zainichi Koreans in Japan. Growing up, Jake has described himself as not particularly great with academics and most sports, but he wanted to be strong. This led to him pursuing weightlifting. Of weightlifting, he said, I did it for 10 years in middle school, high school, and university. I didn't particularly like weightlifting. The school I went to had a small student body, so club activities were limited. For boys, it was soccer, track and field, brass band, or weightlifting. It was very extreme. I was in the soccer club in elementary school, but soccer is a team sport. I was interested in how far I could go on my own. In stark contrast to Kento, Jake did not grow up a professional wrestling fan at all. He was into mixed martial arts organizations like Pride and K1. He said of his interest in MMA, I had a strong desire to become a mixed martial artist, and I even asked my parents about it when I was a senior in high school. But my mother told me, you need to go to university. If that doesn't change your aspirations, then do as you please. Jake wound up attending Heisei International University on a recommendation after graduation from high school, and as I mentioned before, he continued to weightlift. While at Heisei, Jake competed in the East Asia Games representing Korea in 2009. He came in fourth in his weight class. In 2010, Jake came in fourth in his weight class at the All-Japan Student Weightlifting Individual Championship and fifth in his weight class at the All-Japan Intercollegiate Weightlifting Championships. Of his performances, Jake said, I was never an extremely powerful weightlifter. I was plagued by injuries and it took me a long time to recover, but he practiced earnestly to make his mark nonetheless. 
Jake was scouted by All Japan during his senior year in 2010 by Kohei Suwama when the promotion was touring Hokkaido. According to a write-up on Noah's website by Kagehiro Osano, Jake's weightlifting coach, who was Suwama's junior when they wrestled together during their college days, had asked Suwama of Jake, have you ever seen anyone bigger? Jake is obviously known for being quite tall at 6'4". Jake was taken to dinner by Suwama and introduced to Keiji Muto, who was president of All Japan at the time. Muto was sold immediately by Jake's size, exclaiming, take off your t-shirt, he's a big guy. So with little knowledge of or prior interest in professional wrestling, Jake decided to pursue a career with All Japan. He entered the dojo in January 2011, which is why you'll see Jake referred to as a Muto-era guy sometimes, but I have some thoughts on that later. On his training when he entered the dojo, Jake said, I had never done any kind of martial arts training before that. Normally, in order to become a professional wrestler, you would start wrestling or judo in high school to build up your basic physical strength so that you would be ready to keep up in the professional world. I had never done anything like that, so I remember that I had a very hard time when I first entered the company. When asked to expand on what the difficulties he encountered were, Jake said, weightlifting is a competition that takes only a few dozen seconds, so there is very little training for physical fitness. It's more about how heavy of a weight you have to practice and handle in order to hit that perfect shot. But in wrestling, your opponent is a human being, not a barbell. You have to adapt to your opponent, and there are times when you have to take the lead. That's why you have to be physically and mentally strong. Jake said that he was aware of some common wrestling techniques like lariats and drop kicks, but not much else. A common piece of advice he received at the time was to watch wrestling every day. He also noted that the physical endurance training was very hard for him at the time, so just the sheer volume of push-ups and such that trainees would need to do was quite difficult because he did not come into the dojo with that background. Jake made his debut on August 17, 2011, in a losing effort against Taiokea under his birth name, like I mentioned before, Ichik Yang in Noboretsu City Gymnasium, which is actually on Hokkaido. He got a full-page story complete with pictures in Shoe Pro about his third match on August 20th, which was in Sapporo Taisen Hall, which was his first career win against Yasufumi Nakanawe. The win and the write-up were unusual, which the writer, Miao-san, points out. Miao-san wrote that despite Jake's size and physique, he did not come into All Japan with much fanfare, but Miao-san wanted to use a page to write about Jake's victory because, and I quote, While watching the match, I thought he had a good expression on his face, but when I looked at the photos of the match later, he was positively shining. The ability to naturally produce this kind of facial expression is a natural talent, not something that can be trained or taught. I love the way Miao-san writes. Like, it's very um, personal, and um, it's written from the point of view of just a really genuine fan, um, which I think we've mentioned before. Um, But it really speaks for the impression that Jake left during this, um, which, as we'll mention in a moment, very short time in All Japan during his uh, first debut. He he really left a mark, and, and people expected a lot from him, even just right out the bat. Yeah, even with, um, like Miyasan said, not coming in with like the most, I guess, fanfare on the way in, he was still able to turn heads in the industry during this brief period of time. But that leads us into saying... He didn't stay with All Japan at this time for very long. And I think this part of Jake's story is recorded in his English wikis, but it's mostly inaccurate in almost all places and usually gets truncated to he left to pursue MMA, which actually isn't quite true either. I even noticed that write-ups in Japanese use that shortcut too, but it doesn't capture his full story. During his first tour with All Japan after his debut, Jake got hurt and had to sit out. 
Jake said, I found myself wondering, why am I even doing this? In short, I was completely heartbroken. He ultimately made the decision based on the injury and how he was feeling at the time to retire from professional wrestling and go back to Hokkaido. In an interview, Jake was asked if mental illness or depression contributed to his decision to retire from wrestling, and he responded, well, I've never been a strong person by nature. It was really similar to depression. When I returned to my hometown, I did work as a chiropractor, but I stayed home for two or three months before I took the job. I spent a lot of time thinking, what am I doing? But that experience changed the way I looked at things. I don't put too much pressure on myself. I don't get worked up, and I don't have high expectations anymore. I think I am a person who steadily builds up my achievements in various ways. It's not like gambling where you have to turn things around all at once, but it's really a steady, steady process. As Jake mentioned in that quote, he worked as a chiropractor for three or four years. He specifically references osteopathic medicine. And at some point he started working as a sports trainer as well. It's in that period that he started more actively pursuing mixed martial arts, though he describes himself as a hobbyist. He joined the MMA team Power of Dreams, and he trained with Kenichi Yamamoto, known for his fights in organizations like UWF International, Rings, Pride, and UFC. Of his training during this time, Jake said, it was really just a hobby for me, but I really thought, finally, I was able to try something that I always really wanted to do. After work, I would go to the dojo and hit the mitts and do some sparring. I was really just another hobbyist who was doing martial arts for fun, the kind that you could find anywhere. I was allowed to participate in amateur competitions a few times. That that really, really surprised me. I didn't realize that he was just a hobbyist because like I said, the narrative is always he left to pursue MMA. Like you hear it on English commentary, you, you'll see it on the wiki, you'll see it in blogs. Yeah, it, it was really interesting to hear him talk about it and you sort of get a picture where he's like, it's, it's just any guy in an MMA gym was how he sort of described himself. Yeah, like, you know, English commentary has you know, leaned into this as well. And um, granted, I don't know otherwise how they would truncate that period of time for him. But I think that when you only have that information and you don't realize what he was going through and, and what he was actually doing, you lose, I think, a critical piece of his story and who he is. And so I'm glad that we can talk about this today. And I hope that this starts to kind of get out into the general lexicon because um, it just would be nicer, I think, if we talked about Jake as a complete person rather than like sound bites right yeah and it like I said it really speaks to and like you said actually it really speaks towards how he views himself and and sort of who he is and so yeah I really I do hope uh more and more people sort of learn about that kind of time period and, and how that fits into the bigger picture that is Jake Lee while Jake described himself as being happy working and training during that period of his life he knew something was missing Jake said, but there was still something that stayed with me. That was pro wrestling. Through the support of many people, I managed to make it to my debut. But after completing only one series, I suddenly decided to quit because I had lost heart. I couldn't help but have regrets about that. I thought, if I don't do this, I will definitely regret it when I die. In order to eliminate those feelings, I thought I would go back and find an answer to that regret. And maybe there would be something beyond that. On May 21st, 2015, Jake announced his return to All Japan Pro Wrestling, which was being led by President Jun Akiyama at that time. And this is where he announced he'd be using the name Jake Lee from then on. When Jake was asked about the kind of courage it took for him to come back to All Japan in 2015 after leaving in 2011, he said, to be honest, every day was fraught with anxiety. I had made my debut once, so people expected me to be able to do a certain level of work. But in reality, I made my debut with very little experience, so I really had to start from scratch. However, 
The president of All Japan when I was first there was Keiji Muto, who had since established Wrestle One, and most of the wrestlers left to go there. So only a limited number of people knew me from the time of my debut. So it was probably easier for me to go work with them. His return match was on June 4th in a tag match with Jun Akiyama versus Takao Mori and Naya Nomura in Corrigan Hall. I want to point out something that I've heard English comms teams miss. Jake does not recognize his original August 17th, 2011 debut into wrestling as his debut date now. He recognizes the June 4th, 2015 date, and that is the anniversary he will acknowledge on Twitter, though technically it's his old Twitter because he is using a brand new one after being hacked recently. (laughs) Poor guy. On the subject of Akiyama June, I think that his relationship with Jake and his influence on that generation of post-Mudo All Japan wrestlers in general is becoming lost to time or in some cases intentionally overlooked to spin other narratives. But Jake was and probably still is very close to Akiyama. In 2018 backstage comments, Jake noted that he grew up in a single family household and that Akiyama was like a stand-in father to him. The writer of that article noting that Akiyama was affectionate toward Jake and Jake adored him like a son would adore his father. Jake called Akiyama Oyaji, and if you listening remember that term from our Kensuke office episode, that's what Nakajima calls Kensuke Sasaki, so there was a closeness between them. Due to Jake's height, Akiyama had a lot of interest in Jake using Jumbo Saruta's backdrop, and Jake appealed to Akiyama to learn the jumping knee. Jake also took his knee finisher giant killing from that time period with Akiyama. This leads me to something I want to briefly touch on, which is Jake's identity as an All Japan wrestler. As I alluded to before, you will get folks that try to classify him as a Mudo guy and then others who will try to paint him as just a Tajiri guy due to the nature of his relationship with Tajiri who returned to All Japan in 2017 and worked with the company until his departure in December 2022. This obviously overlooks that he was very much like many of his peers, an Akiyama guy who remained very loyal to Akiyama even after his departure. He was part of the group that identified themselves as sons of Akiyama after Akiyama departed All Japan in 2020. This also overlooks that he would have been trained by the late Atsushi Aoki upon returning to All Japan in 2015 as well, and Jake has spoken about him. We are going to get into the trajectory of Jake's career within All Japan very shortly, particularly through the lens of Next Stream and his rivalry with Kento, but I want to make it abundantly clear that I find Voices of Wrestling's implication via their shadowy and contradictory backstage reports that no one took an interest in making Jake Lee a star until Tajiri rocked up and that he was ever a failed star at all to be deeply offensive and not based in reality. And I think you'll find that throughout this episode. A report like that one was most likely written by someone who does not watch the promotion, understand who the players are, have a grasp on their relationships to each other. I implore people to remember that when your understanding of this wrestling is framed exclusively by Western sources, there will be intense bias that contradicts what is actually being experienced in Japan. And when you frame Jake as just a Mudo-era guy or just a Tajiri guy, you're missing out on a lot of what makes up Jake's identity and his training background as an All Japan wrestler. And missing a lot of what makes all Japan, modern All Japan, so important as well is acknowledging the importance of Akiyama and Aoki's training in the dojo. And we'll probably talk about that in our next episode as well with uh, the rest of Next Stream. So yeah, no, it's it's really important and we try to eliminate as much bias as possible. But when you are consuming um, Western sources, just understand that a lot of times understanding is very limited and um, a lot of people do approach things with bias. 
Before we get into the story of Next Stream and how Jake and Kento began working together, I want to share a quote from a 2016 interview that had a unique gimmick and that each wrestler interview would need to nominate the next interviewee. Jake's response is sort of perfect and I think sums him up as a person and as a wrestler better than almost anything else I've seen translated from him. And it's great to keep in mind as we move forward from here. When asked what strength meant to him, Jake said, I'd like to ask that myself. I wonder what strength is every day. There are different kinds of strengths, such as physical strength and emotional strength. It is very difficult to put it into one word. But one of the reasons I chose Ryoji Sai is because he is challenging himself to do something that has never been done before. Just by looking at him, I can see how difficult it is to start a company and be an athlete at the same time. He may not be the most naturally skilled wrestler. You can clearly see his anguish and struggle. I felt that this human touch is the charm and strength of Jake Lee. The viewer can relate to him. I think this is a great weapon for a professional wrestler. Jake Lee is not just a tall wrestler. I hope that the world will soon realize the appeal of a man who, despite his many challenges in life, still speaks straight to the point, saying, I love wrestling right now. Now we'll talk about how Next Stream came to be. Kento's road to becoming the young ace began in 2016 proper, once succeeded, officially disbanded, and both Goshi Azaki and Koto Suzuki had taken their leave of the company by November of 2015. As we discussed during our All Japan Factions episode, Kento had been offered a spot in Evolution by Suwama after Exceed had come to an end, but he refused and teamed with Suwama during the 2015 Real World Tag League anyway. Suwama and Kento won the tournament after facing the Big Guns, the Bodyguard, and Zeus on December 6th in Ideon Arena Osaka number 2. Suwama attacked him afterward and said, I used Miyahara to win the tournament, and my prize is even bigger than the trophy. The prize he was referring to was Naoya Nomura, who had come out from the back and shaken hands with Suwama, showing he would join Evolution instead of Kento. Naoya said, I will be the ace of all Japan, hoping to become a quote-unquote star of hope for the promotion, which we'll talk way more about in part two. Jake had been at ringside and came in to defend Kento. Kento said, in 2016, I and the Heisei generation will lead all Japan. It's self-satisfying to say I've had a long career. Me and Jake don't have a long career, but we have a shot. The fallout of Kento's tag run with Suwama will become a critical launching point for the next phase of not only Kento's career, but also the careers of Jake, Naoya, and Yuma Aoyagi. This is where we begin to see Kento and then Jake call for generational change within all Japan, and it of course starts with the two of them. On December 9th, Kento announced that he and Jake would begin working together as a tag team, and then on December 25th, they announced their team was officially named Next Stream, which they took from the words Next and Stream, meaning to create a new wind in All Japan Pro Wrestling and to create a new flow, a new momentum. So again, hearkening back to that call for generational change. Kento took that first step at ushering in a new era for the company when he became Triple Crown Champion for the first time on February 12, 2016 in Corrigan Hall, winning the vacant title against Zeus after Suwama had to return the Triple Crown due to rupturing his Achilles tendon. With this win, Kento became the youngest Triple Crown winner at 27 years old, beating the record previously set by Terry Gordy, who was 29 years old when he won the Triple Crown in 1990. Of Kento's six Triple Crown reigns to date, the first reign is Kento's second longest at 464 days. Kento, being deeply ambitious, wasn't satisfied with just being the youngest Triple Crown champion in history. He immediately set his sights on becoming a quintuple crown champion. But this also meant that he and Jake within Next Stream found success right away. They became the number one contenders for the World Heavyweight Tag Titles on February 13th, 2016, so just a day after Kendo's Triple Crown win, when they defeated Jun Akiyama and Takao Mori in Choshi City Gymnasium. 
They went on to lose to the champions at the time, the Big Guns, Bodyguard and Zeus, on February 21st in Idion Arena, Osaka number two. They got another shot at the World Heavyweight Tag Titles on August 6th in Niigata City Gymnasium when they challenged champion Strong BJ, Daisuke Sakamoto, and Yuji Okabayashi and came up short there as well. When you look at Next Dreams 2016, they spent a lot more time losing matches together than picking up wins for a good portion of the year, which makes sense when you consider that Jake was in a more rookie phase during that time period after his re-debut. One of the most important moments for Next Dream actually came on September 19th, 2016 in and Hall. In the semi-main, Jake and Kento had a match against Naya Nomura and Yuma Aoyagi. We'll get more into the details when it comes to the latter pair in part two, but Naoya and Yuma certainly represented two of the most promising up-and-coming youth on All Japan's roster at the time, with Naoya and Yuma only having debuted in March and December of 2014, respectively. I am not positive this match even made tape, so unfortunately it's not one I have seen, and I have to rely on other people's accounts of it. But in issue 1872 of Shoe Pro, this match was said to be notable for how exciting it was, when no one could have anticipated that beforehand. Naoya and Yuma put up such a spirited fight against the Triple Crown champion and the more seasoned Jake Lee, that Corkin was getting behind the two more rookie wrestlers and loudly cheering for them. Naoya and Yuma's emotionally charged fight seemed to spur on Jake as well, who appeared determined not to be outdone by the younger team. The writer, who I believe is not named, notes, it was an explosion of the youth's power that was exciting to watch. After nine minutes and 52 seconds, Kento and Jake defeated Naoya and Yuma. What came post-match is what changed the course of Next Stream, and I've posted the well-known photo of this to my Twitter account from Shoe Pro before. The main event of that card was actually the Royal Road final between Suama and Zeus, a significant match for Kento as he would find out his next opponent through it. So that was what the crowd was anticipating to hear about when Kento picked up the mic. Instead, he addressed Naoya and Yuma directly and said, you guys want to change something, don't you? You're looking for that chance to change, aren't you? It's right here. There is an empty seat at next stream. Kento extended his hand to Naoya and Yuma, who stood there to shake his hand, making next stream a proper faction and now a group of four. This caused quite the commotion in the hall, apparently. In the photo I referenced before, you can actually see that Jake doesn't look that thrilled about what was happening in front of him, which is super interesting. Naoya had also left Evolution in July of 2016, saying, if I stay, I would just be tagging along with someone who is strong inviting the question of what had changed for him in the span of three months or so, and how would next stream be any different for him? But because the tag match had been so impressive and exciting, fans were not exactly complaining about Naoya and Yuma being offered this opportunity. Later, Naoya said of his decision to join next stream, I have just left Evolution, so there are probably many people who have doubts about my decision, but today's All Japan needs young strength. I join because I want to work with young people and feel that us young people have to get together and make exciting things happen. People in Evolution definitely wouldn't be happy about this, so I think they will go hard on me when it comes to matches against them, but I have strong feelings about working in this team of youths, so I will use that feeling to fight against Evolution's toughness and defeat them. Of course, there could be conflicts within the team as well, as I constantly have this desire to stand out the most, even within Next Stream. Of course, I want to leave even a bigger impact than Miyahara-san, so this is also a battle against the Triple Crown champion as well. When Yuma was asked, he said, I had been looking for an opportunity for myself to change, and since there was an opportunity right there, maybe it was a bit rash of me, but I took it because I want to improve myself in Next Stream, a team that is exclusively made up of the younger generation. When Miyahara-san invited me, I made the decision then and there because I felt that this could be the place for me to change. 
If evolution is going to be our enemy, I think we should never succumb to them no matter how strong they are. In order to change all Japan pro wrestling, we should never succumb to anything. Miyahara-san calls it the new scenery. So I want to start fighting to change the scenery of all Japan pro wrestling together. To put it nicely, Sisa Takuma is what I expect, but I don't think everyone will necessarily get along with each other. I didn't join the team to make friends, but because I wanted a chance to change. So there definitely won't be working as a team. I want to become the best among the three of us, or even the four of us, including Miyahara. Miyahara-san's current partner is Jake Lee. I think that this is also a competition about whether the champion would recognize me as a partner or not. Fighting for the seat next to Miyahara-san, you see. For those of you who listened to our Maruken episode, Sesa Takuma is a friendly competition or a relationship and what Marafuji had been hoping to foster with Kenta. So it's funny to see that term pop up again here with Yuma rejecting the notion of it almost outright. Jake was also asked for how he felt about Naoya and Yuma joining after he made such a complicated face in the ring as it was happening. He said, since Kento-san and I had been a team up until now, Nomura and Aoyagi never got to team up with Kento-san nor myself. But as enemies without a discussion, without resistance, when Kento-san asked, are you looking for a chance? They took his hand. I wonder what they would be doing if Kento-san didn't ask that. That to me is a big question, but I'll just have to see what these two have in store. Career-wise, I'm at the bottom, you see, so I think it would be easier for them to come at me because of the different feelings they would have towards me compared to fighting with other senpais, such as, I don't want to lose against that guy. Of course, I'm the same. I hate losing, and I get jealous, and it shows. So to be completely honest, I wanted to keep fighting against them as enemies. Now that we're in the same team, my feeling is that I want to be the best in the team, and I don't mean just Nomura and Aoyagi, but Kento-san as well. I am extremely grateful to Kento-san for leading me up to this point, but I think it would be meaningless for us to have fought together if I don't acquire that kind of strength to stand up against him and fight him one-on-one. Jake goes on to say, I am in a bit of a hurry. In the October series, the opposition is already decided, isn't it? Even when I try and imagine what I would go on to do in those situations, there is no such thing as a clear answer in pro wrestling, so I become even more anxious. However, if I can turn that feeling of anxiety into a driving force, then people who stand on the edge are strong, aren't they? If I don't go in with that kind of spear, I won't be able to catch up to Kento-san, and I don't think I'll ever be able to surpass those two. So you'll notice that there are some important themes between these three sets of comments. Mm-hmm. Both Naoya and Yuma joined Nextring to work exclusively with the younger generation and to create needed change in all Japan, but they were not there, as Yuma put it so succinctly, to make friends. Both stress that they want to be at the forefront of Nextring and surpass even Kento. Yuma also made an interesting comment about Jake's position next to Kento being up for grabs as well. So inherently, there's a ton of competition here at the very start of this faction. Jake's comments are incredibly similar, but he's a lot more suspicious of Naoya and Yuma and their motivations up front. He's not actually that thrilled they join him because he wanted to keep fighting against them as quote-unquote enemies and continue advancing his own career, so to speak. But just like Naoya and Yuma, he wanted to make sure he was the best wrestler in next stream and work to surpass Kento, an important motivation for him even in September 2016 when he was teaming with Kento. Everything about that period of time for Jake was around urgency, not wanting to waste a moment in his quest to surpass his peers and one day Kento himself. It really reminds me of Jake um, saying that he didn't want to do team sports in school because he wanted to see how far he wanted to go himself. And, And you sense that with all four of them. You really do. But it's really interesting how it ties into, well, I wanted to fight them as enemies because that forwards my own career. Like it it all just ties together really well. We're going to talk about this over the next two episodes, but these are four 
incredibly individualist people at the at the start. And it's interesting to see how some of this changes over time for not all of them, but some of them. Of course, Kento was asked for his comments. And Kento said, please don't get me wrong. It's not like I want us to become the best team ever. I want to create heat within next stream and want the general public to think of us as, damn, all Japan's young generation are awesome. You could say that we are trying to eat up the older generation, but the fact that the crowd was so excited at Corken Hall shows that they want to see a fight between the same generation. I think that means that a showdown within next stream will be right around the corner because I can feel the radiating heat even as I stand beside them. Since we have four people in next stream now, I think we should definitely compete within ourselves. Who can create the most heat? Who can make most people feel the heat? It's easy to say I am strong, but I want to express it with my actions. Pursu is an individual sport, so there's only a little desire for us to work together as a team to make Pursu more exciting. I'm just saying it would be good if it turns out that way as a result of us doing our own thing. Kendo goes on to say, I think that hierarchy within a team is so old-fashioned, so it doesn't exist in my mind. It's up to the people who are watching to decide. Just because you have a higher career doesn't mean you have a higher rank. I don't believe in such old ways. I think the world of Pursue is becoming a world where you can't get by based on your career history alone. Therefore, I don't look down on the three of them. They are young. They have a future. So they have to make the most of it and must become the shining new presence that brightens up the industry. Kento reinforces the idea that Nextstream exists to challenge the older generation in all Japan, but is quick to note that the crowd's reaction in Corkin on September 19th was proof that the fans craved showdowns between wrestlers of the same generation. He alludes to the ambition and tension in his new faction by making remarks about feeling the heat radiating from them as he stood beside them. And you get that reinforcement that this faction is made up of individuals. Nextstream isn't truly a team right now, but Kento also has a lot of hope that Jake, Naoya, and Yuma will make an impact on the industry. They're interesting comments that ultimately give you a lot of insight into the ideals next stream the faction has ultimately been founded on, but some fascinating revelations around what Kento thinks of hierarchy and Purasu as well, and some distancing between who he views as these up-and-coming stars and himself, which will become way more important later on as we yeah, get through this episode. I was, I was thinking the same, like as soon as you read those quotes. Before we get too much further in, I want to highlight that there are obviously callbacks to Super Generation Army and Mitsuharu Misawa, Toshiaki Kawada, Kenta Kobashi, and Akira Tawe generally in the development of Nextstream. That's all incredibly intentional. Nextstream is by design an Aces faction as it was formed around Kento's rise to prominence and young Acedom, but Nextstream represents so much more than that. Just as Super Generation Army or the Four Pillars would work together and feud alternatively with each other during their era of All Japan and beyond, Nextstream was being set up the same way for Kento, Jake, Naoya, and Yuma. And they will, as we'll demonstrate over the next two episodes, represent the same exact concepts for each other. These built-in friendships, brotherhoods, and rivalries that they can expand upon over the course of their careers. I'll also mention here that Kento still keeps, like I was saying before, an Abema vlog, which was a lot more popular several years ago in Paresu. It seems like most people just use Twitter or Instagram exclusively, unless you're like Akira Hokuto, or like I said, Kento. But you can go through his blog from the beginning and find photos Kento posted of himself and Jake in the dojo, traveling together, eating together, attending fan events for Kento's birthday together, press obligations, all sorts of things. There's photos of Kento with a very young Naoya and even younger Yuma in the dojo and traveling for shows as well. Once Nextstream was officially a faction, Kento posted a lot of photos of the four of them just being together, hanging out. There's this palpable sense of, of friendship and brotherhood in these photos, and they're sort of 
fascinating, as is Kento's blog in general, when juxtaposed with comments he has made in the press that appear to be more in character when it comes to how he feels about hanging out with professional wrestlers outside of matches. In a 2016 interview, he said, I don't involve them at all in my personal life. When wrestlers are around, I can't help but flip the switch. I take great care in turning that switch on and off, so I don't find it particularly enjoyable to be around pro wrestlers. The switch, as he describes it, is something that he has talked about in other more recent interviews, but he's referring to the fact that he struggles to not always be thinking about wrestling and being around other wrestlers means the switch always has to be on. In the same interview and in others, Kento spoke about how he is not sentimental as a professional wrestler, but it's truly fascinating to look at the old photos of Nextream that he posted because it's as if the blog exists in a bubble for him outside of the comments he makes to the press. Jumping back into wrestling, to close out 2016, the team of Kento and Jake began to pick up wins where it mattered. They entered the Real World Tag Team Tournament and racked up eight points during regular tournament matches, only losing in their opener to Kengo Mashimo and Tank Nagai. Nextream were defeated in the final on December 18th in Corrigan Hall by Get Wild, Manabu Soya, and Takao Amori. While 2017 brought some members of the faction their first real successes, it also presented Nextream with one of their first true challenges that no doubt changed the plans All Japan may have had for the beginning of this group. Kento lost the Triple Crown on May 21st to Shuji Ishikawa in Korokin, bringing his first 464-day reign to an end. Yuma was still a junior heavyweight at this point, but Kento, Jake, and Naoya teamed together for heavyweight six-mans. On the traditional tag team side of things, Jake and Naoya formed a team that had a chance at contending for the World Tag Championships. Their first match together was a winning effort on December 20th, 2016 against Takuya Nomura and Yoshihisa Uto in Shinkiba first string. Between December 2016 and July 2017, they only had a total of nine tag matches together, but two of those matches were for the World Tag titles. On May 12th, 2017, they lost their title challenge against the Big Guns in Moraguchi Citizen Gymnasium. But on July 17th, they finally defeated the Big Guns to become World Tag Team Champions, the first titles the two would hold in All Japan. However, during Jake and Naoya's first defense against the Big Guns on July 28th in Nagoya City Suyuhashi Sports Center, Jake ruptured his ACL, and they were forced to return the belts after 15 days as champions. Jake would need to spend 10 months away from the ring recovering from the significant injury and it is with his return to wrestling officially in May 2018 that we will begin to return our attention away from Nextstream and to Jake and Kento's rivalry proper. We will continue to discuss Nextstream in part two of this series when we pick up with Naoya and Yuma. As we jump into Kento and Jake's rivalry, I want to say off the top that there are 14 matches in their series and not all are available online or have made tape. It's their first three singles matches in 2015 that I cannot cover in depth as I have not seen them, and I don't have write-ups on them either. Those matches occurred shortly after Jake rejoined the company, but just before they formed Nextstream together in December 2015. Their first singles match was on June 30th, 2015 in Hokkaido. Kento defeated Jake in 8 minutes and 26 seconds. Their second singles match was on October 14th in Nagoya City. Kento defeated Jake in 10 minutes and 2 seconds. And their third singles match was on October 17th in Arc Center in Nagano, Kento defeated Jake in 8 minutes and 28 seconds. Our friend Des, who you can find on Twitter at Deswari, has made a YouTube playlist with the remaining 11 Jake and Kento matches from their series, and we will make sure to link this in our show notes and on the blog. Kento and Jake did not have any singles matches in 2016 when they were tagging together as Nextstream, and all the way through Kento inviting Naoya and Yuma to join them, of course. I do want to mention some quotes from this time period that come from those sets of interviews where wrestlers had to be nominated to participate. 
Kento was interviewed and when asked what he thought strength was, he said, I think it is pride. I think each person has different ideas of strength. Is it a matter of appearance or is it an inner issue? One person may say they are weak, but another person may say they are strong. In such a situation, I think it is important to have pride in oneself and not hesitate. I don't always think of myself as strong. I am still evolving. I haven't reached the end of the line yet. When asked who he would nominate to be interviewed next, based on who he viewed as the strongest, he nominated himself. When prompted (laughs) to choose someone else, he nominated Jake. And his response for why was, he's tall and good looking. Oh, and he is young. For a performer, looks are important. Being tall is an especially good weapon for a wrestler to have. I think it is a strong first impression to convey something to the audience. When Jake was asked in his interview what he thought of Kendo nominating him as the strongest wrestler, Jake said, simply, eh, me? But everyone has their own sense of worth, so I felt that it might be Kendo's image of me, or his hope that I would become stronger. I thought it was interesting how Jake's response wound up playing perfectly into Kendo's ideas around strength. So much of Jake's journey is about self-worth, and Jake reflecting on Kendo's nomination as his seniors hope that he would become stronger is worth examining at this stage of their careers and relationship. With the matches we can watch, we pick up with Jake and Kento in 2017 for the only singles match they had together during Jake's time in Next Stream, which occurred on June 13th during that year's Champion Carnival in Cork and Hall. We know from Jake's comments after Next Stream became a faction that he wants to prove himself against Kento and ultimately surpass him. But this is not where I mark the start of their rivalry proper. And it's important to remember the careful language Kento uses around Jake and, of course, Naoya and Yuma as well. Even in his original comments from the 2016 article, Kento acknowledged the competition amongst the four of them, but he never refers to them as his rivals. We'll revisit Kento's careful or deliberate use of language in building these three throughout this episode and the next. For this champion carnival match in Cork and Hall, Kento is still triple crown champion, and he certainly receives a reception befitting the champion from the crowd during his entrance. But Jake has his supporters in that crowd too, and there is a loud Jake chant towards the start of the match. The match begins with the two of them sizing each other up in an exchange of holds before Jake is able to reverse to get Kento against the ropes, where he acts like he's going to break for referee Wadakyohe, and instead smashes his forearm into Kento's face. Jake lights Kento up with a series of kicks before allowing Kento to the outside. They exchange forearms before Kento manages to send Jake into the barricades, only for Jake to rebound and hit Kento with a shoulder tackle, sending Kento to the floor with him. Jake recovers enough to get on the apron and kick a standing Kento, sending him back to the ground. They continue to brutalize each other on the outside, and Kento eventually regains control by dropping Jake face first onto the barricade from a fireman's carry, and Kento gets in trouble with Wada for using one of the ring posts to choke Jake, but they get back into the ring, and Kento drapes Jake over the top rope to land a nasty-looking dropkick to Jake's head. Kento gets Jake in a corner and delivers some forearms to Jake's head, but Jake is defiant. He screams in Kento's face, which only prompts Kento to land quicker forearms and a headbutt. Jake gets some momentum when Kento smashes himself into a ring post and the crowd starts a loud Jake chant at this. Jake gets off a big running kick to Kento and then several kicks before sending Kento to the mat with a Saito suplex. The crowd pops every time Jake does something exciting, so a huge knee and a DDT into a two count gets Jake a ton of reaction. Kento capitalizes and brings Jake down to the mat with a kick and he transitions into a sick-looking modified armbar choke. They go into an intense sequence with a suplex from Kento, a massive knee and kick from Jake, and you can actually see Yuma losing his shit on the outside, (laughs) which is really sweet. Kento fails to put Jake away with his blackout knee, which gives Jake the opportunity to capitalize with giant killing, but Kento kicks out, so Jake has to go for the backdrop, and Kento kicks out of that too. 
At this point, the crowd is firmly behind Jake, and they're so invested in him besting his next dream faction mate and the Triple Crown champion. Jake even kicks out at one during this match after a kendo knee, and it's just nuts in yeah, that was the insane. building. Jake manages to survive a horrific-looking knee and a delayed-release German suplex from Kento, who immediately transitions into the shutdown suplex, which he pulls off. But that, Kento wins the match at 13 minutes and 55 seconds. Jake rolls out quickly and is being attended to by Koji Iwamoto and Yusuke Okada, but Kento stops him, and they have this interesting little stare-down. Jake gets back onto the apron, and Kento offers his hand, but Jake slaps his hand away. So Kento makes a face, turns, and gestures for the Triple Crown. I don't think he liked that he offered this generosity of the champion offer his hand and Jake slapped his hand away. He didn't like that. Yeah, I was going to ask you what you made of that moment because it, it was interesting, but it didn't necessarily feel like it was a respect or rivalry thing, especially since they were both in next stream at that, that time. Yeah, so within the context of, of where they were, you know, you can take it almost as that like, you know, Tessa Takuma, right? But- yeah. Kento, with the way that he views himself, like he he was the champion. He was becoming the ace. So for him to offer his hand and for Jake to not graciously accept his hand, that would have annoyed him. <laughs> and we'll see over time with him and like the way he treats Yuma and such, when he is being gracious and he is like allowing you a moment and you don't take it with him, that that makes him react. So it's interesting to have seen it there, but you can tell from like the face that he made that he didn't really like that, right? Like in character, he wasn't a fan. So it's interesting. Their next singles match was on July 1st, 2018 in Hotel Amicia Sapporo in Hokkaido, which was two months after Jake's return to wrestling after the injury that forced him to vacate the world tag belts with Naoya. That also means this is Kento and Jake's first singles match after announcing his departure from Next Stream. I talked about this on our Matches We Love episode, but prior to his official return to the ring in 2018, Jake appeared during the April 25th, 2018 stop of Champion Carnival in Cork and Hall and announced that not only would he be returning to wrestling in May of that year, he would also be leaving Next Stream. Jake said, I am leaving Next Stream to face Kento Miyahara, Naoya Nomura, and Yuma Aoyagi. Backstage, Jake spoke about a sense of crisis not participating in that year's Champion Carnival after having been out for nearly 10 months. He noted that Kento was making history. Now he was showing he was becoming a formidable opponent against anyone. And Yuma was coming off his rookie of the year win. I noted in the episode that Jake stepping away from next stream at that time could be interpreted as him realizing he was being left behind by his former faction mates due to the amount of time he had been off for injury and re-entering next stream upon his return in May would be risking standing in not only Kento's shadow, but in his two junior shadows as well. There was always the risk that Next Stream would come apart as quickly as it came together because of their desire to fight each other as individuals. And Jake has demonstrated since he was pretty young that he's not a team guy, per se. One thing I'd like to call attention to is another quote from this time period after Jake won his first match back, a tag where he teamed with Koji Iwamoto versus Naoya Nomura and Yoshitatsu on May 24, 2018 in Cork and Hall. Afterward, Jake said, it's been 10 months since I've been in a real fight, but I still haven't been able to combine it with martial arts. I still don't have enough tension to take out my opponent with one shot. The writer notes Jake had a tense look on his face, not buoyed by his victory. Jake has been talking a lot about this idea of ending matches in one shot lately, so I thought it was funny to see this come back up in 2018. Kento at the stage is already in his third Triple Crown reign and a two-time world tag team champion. The gulf in such a short period of time has doubled, maybe tripled between Kento and Jake. Jake can feel that. He can feel the distance between them 
and what more he has to do to overcome Kento, who was cementing his future as the new ace of All Japan. Going into their July 1st singles match, Jake has already formed a new faction with Koji Iwamoto, Ryoji Sai, Dylan James, and Keiji Sato on June 5th. Their name would be announced on June 13th, Sweeper. Their aim was to sweep all the titles in All Japan, or accomplish everything in the promotion, so to speak. When Jake and Kento meet one-on-one for the first time since April 2017, Jake is in new teal and gray colored gear, and Kento is accompanied to the ring by not just Yuma, but a very young Atsuki Ayagi as well. Later on in the match, you can see Naoya too. Because there are so many matches in the series, I'm not going to cover every single one in depth, but I want to highlight that the crowd throws vocal support, not just behind the champion, but behind Jake once again. The beginning is so intense with both of them trying to figure each other out. It's obvious that they have a respect for each other's speed and power, and neither wants to force their hand too quickly. It's a great match for watching all of Jake's facial expressions when he's looking at Kento too. He has a very good incredulous look, and it's deeply effective. Kento defeats Jake with a shutdown suplex at 19 minutes and 51 seconds. They don't have a dramatic stare down like last time. When Jake is getting taken away by Sweeper, Kento says something brief to him on the mic, and we don't see Jake's reaction due to the camera angle. Afterward, Kento was asked about Jake having him cornered in the match. Kento said, Jake Lee deserves a shot at this belt. I was in a special singles match today, but I have my heart set on a title match. That's why I raised the belt after the bell. The same goes for him. The story of Jake Lee and Kento Miyahara has begun, and today was the start. When it was pointed out that he would need to defeat his next challenger for the Triple Crown in Zeus to have a chance at a title match with Jake, he said, Jake Lee, soon. It'll happen for him soon. He's got what it takes to be a main eventer. That's why I couldn't lose. I'm always trying to be number one. I'm always striving to be at the forefront of this industry. Next one is July 29th. Zeus, Osaka is your home and mine. I'm at home in all of Japan. Kento Miyahara and Jake Lee. Anyway, today I can say that Kento Miyahara's rival is Jake Lee, isn't he? First of all, Kento Miyahara is deeply unhinged. Second of all, this is the first time Kento notes that Jake is his rival, (laughs) though he poses it more as a question both times he says it post-match. He wants the press and the fans to know this is how he feels about Jake, but you'll see later on how explicit he can be with his language to build Jake up over time. Next was their singles match on September 22nd, 2018 in Hakata Star Lanes in Fukuoka, a second round match during that year's World Road Tournament. Kento had lost the Triple Crown by then to Zeus back in July. This is another good match and kind of funny because Kento immediately burns a bridge with Wada, which certainly sets a tone for the entire bout. There's a certain brutality to this one. Everything they do to each other is just kind of painful. They spend a lot of time tormenting each other on the outside, and Jake wrecks Kento with a DDT on the ramp at one point. Kento defeats Jake at 19 minutes and 31 seconds with the shutdown suplex. Afterwards, there's this amazing shot of Jake looking at Kento from the outside. He's leaning against one of the ring posts. There's a little resentment there in his gaze, with the crowd applauding for Kento. Kento crawls to him, and they have an exchange that isn't mic'd. And Kento almost has his finger in Jake's face before Jake is led away. Obviously, the pattern here is that Jake has yet to defeat Kento in a singles match. And this is a massive driving force for him at this point. He has to defeat him one-on-one. Kento represents everything that Jake has never had in his career at that point. And Kento makes everything look so easy, so effortless. That is not Jake's story. Jake's story is about the climb. It's about the struggle. And chasing Kento is a huge part of that. Afterward, Kento says, this is not the Jake Lee I once knew. He's become a different person in the first round of the Royal Road Tournament. He is my rival now. 
This is a much more definitive statement than the last time he acknowledged that Jake could be his rival. Again, letting you know with each match exactly how he feels about Jake's progression as a wrestler and how he stacks up against the best of the best. Their seventh singles match is on April 29th, 2019 in the finals of that year's Champion Carnival in Corrigan Hall. That champion chronicle was important for building Jake's star, which was really on the rise at that point. He was a first-time All-Asia Tag Team Champion with his partner Koji Iwamoto of Sweeper, and there was a ton of momentum behind Jake, but also Naya Nomura, and we'll talk more about him during this time period in Part 2 as well. Kento was in his fourth and to date longest reign as Triple Crown Champion, again, making more history. The stakes were so high in this carnival because if Kento won, he would become the first Triple Crown champion to do so since Genichi or Tenru in 2001. So this was his goal. But not only that, 2018 to 2019 was, again, just a really important time period for All Japan to begin pushing some of their most emerging talent. And also for Kento personally in building out his generational rivals as he came into his full power as an ace. The 2019 Champion Carnival is a huge piece of the story of Next Stream. Going into the B-Block Finals on April 28th in Corrigan Hall, Suwama, Naya Nomura, Jake Lee, Joe Doring, Yoshitatsu, and Daichi Hashimoto were all tied for first place at the start of the show. Some of these guys took care of themselves. And then Naya Nomura defeated Suwama, and Jake Lee defeated Joe Doring, so this left them still tied for points. The solution was for them to have a B-Block Decider match that same night. This is somewhat unusual, as far as I understand, because Naya had already defeated Jake earlier in the carnival on April 4th. Naya's first singles win against Jake, after their first five singles matches resulted in four wins for Jake and one double knockout. With both men having not defeated Kento one-on-one yet, you can imagine how tense that match was, and I highly recommend that you seek it out. But Jake defeated Naya on the 28th to win B-Block, and this punched his ticket to face Kento in the carnival finals on the 29th. When asked afterward about facing Kendo, Jake said, I have to win and challenge him for the Triple Crown. I've come such a long way. Everything else is in the past. I'm going to make him eat my knees. Rachel surmised that everything else was Jake's vague way of referring to their time in Next Stream together. At the start of their match on the 29th, it's worth watching Kento's face before Jake walks out for his entrance. There is something very striking in the cold determination in Kento's eyes. It gets underway, not too dissimilarly from previous matches, with the two of them taking their time to figure each other out, anticipating the first real blows, the rope break spots and such. This picks up when Jake gets Kento on the outside and lights him up with some hard kicks. There is a real fire behind Jake's strikes. Once back in the ring, he hits Kento with a punishing forearm, and Kento immediately crumples with the crowd audibly reacting to this. Kento comes back with some nasty headbutts on the outside, which Jake has an incredible dramatic fall from, and Kento uses the ring post to target Jake's head as well. They really challenge each other in this. There's a point in the ring where they're exchanging forearms, and Kento is trying to no-sell them, and Jake just smiles at him. There's a cool spot on the apron where Jake brings Kento to his knees with a kick and then hits a modified curb stomp. And I wish, I wish he did things like that constantly because it looks so fucking cool. (laughs) They up the intensity during a sequence where they trade kicks, suplexes, and a brain buster in the ring. Kento's blackouts are sick. And there's a great sequence where Jake winds up hitting a doctor bomb to avoid the shutdown suplex. Jake goes for giant killing for a two count and then straight into the backdrop. Uh, where he and the crowd thought he had the three count, and Corkin explodes. Kento stuns Jake with another series of blackouts, and Corkin is divided at this point on who they want the winner to be. 
Kento finally gets Jake up for the shutdown suplex, and he defeats Jake at 27 minutes and 23 seconds to win champion carnival for the first time in his own career and also as Triple Crown champion. Afterward, there is this moment that seems to change the very air around them. They struggle to their feet, and Kento pushes his forehead against Jake's. They stare into each other's eyes before Kento moves away, but there is a recognition that passes between them. It's different from anything we've ever seen between Kento and Jake before, and it comes from Kento. I think this is like one of the first matches I ever watched of All Japan, like when I was getting into it in 2021. Um, this was one that you had mentioned to me as being worthy of checking out. And it was it was one of the first ones I ever saw. It's, it's stupendous. It really, really is. And I hope that you guys listening just go and I mean, check out all of them and the playlist. Please do. They're right there. But um, yeah, I think this one will definitely be a standout for a lot of people. Yeah, this is one of the very best easily. And afterward, Kento declared in the ring. And today I met someone new. Jake Lee, you are my rival. And the crowd has a big, oh, reaction to this. This is a very formal declaration of Jake Lee as Kento's chosen rival, right? Because he is making the choice. You are my rival. Of course, in the ring and backstage, he commends himself for making history and wants everyone to watch him as he brings All Japan into a new era and becomes the ace of all professional wrestling in that year, not just All Japan. But he brings up again that he has finally met his rival, Jake Lee. There's a real sense that Jake had to earn the right to be called Kento's rival in this capacity. It's at once an acknowledgement of how far Jake has come from their earliest days tagging together in next stream, but also sort of insulting, right? Because everything with Kento is sort of backhanded in that way. But again... This is the turning point for their true rivalry and where it becomes more critical than ever that Jake defeats Kento one-on-one because the gulf between them is only widening. Kento is only continuing to make more history. We move into their eighth singles match on September 23rd at Nagoya International Conference Hall, and this is the finals of the Royal Road Tournament. Kento is still Triple Crown Champion and seemingly unstoppable. Jake had started using the green and gray gear with the shorts that had the slit up the side by this time, and him and Koji are in their second reign as all Asia tag champs. His theme here was Samol, which is a lot edgier and cooler than his previous one too. The most notable thing right away at the start of this match is that the vibe is completely different between them. There's no Sessa Takuma left, none. And instead you have a lot more tension between them because there's more on the line with each encounter than ever before. This crowd is firmly behind Jake Lee during this match because they know beating Kento is critical in general, but he only needs to get past Kento to win his first Royal Road and earn a title shot against Kento. These two are pretty nasty to each other, and Kento takes a very mocking tone at times. He holds on to spots too long, longer than usual, earning the ire of Wada pretty quickly. Jake fires back with punishing forearms, but Kento is lightning quick with his setups and kicks. Jake has a cool moment where he seems to fall for one of Kento's drop kicks, but he pulls away at the last second. Kento falls to his back and Jake lands a senton. Jake is stunned after Kento brings him back for a suplex off the apron, but he manages to get back into the ring. Kento gets Jake up for a brain buster, but Jake hits Kento with a perfect leg lariat and pops the shit out of commentary for it. They have an intense forearm exchange before Jake lights Kento up with low and middle kicks, but Kento capitalizes with his own. Kento tries to swing things in his favor with blackout and a suplex, but Jake kicks out. 
Jake capitalizes the giant killing into a doctor bomb, but Kento kicks out. Jake pulls down his knee pad for giant killing again, but Kento hits blackout and attempts a roll up, but Jake kicks out of. Jake fights Kento back with high kicks to the head, giant killing, and a backdrop before he finally puts Kento away for the first time in 23 minutes and 59 seconds, clinching his first Royal Road victory and a title shot against Kento in the process. Atsuki and Hokuto Amori roll Kento out of the ring and take him away quickly while Jake receives his trophy. And while this was a massive achievement for Jake, it wasn't enough, and he knew it. Neither Jake nor All Japan fans would be truly satisfied until he defeated Kento where it mattered most, in a match for the Triple Crown. He could not feel like he had truly overcome his former Next Dream faction mate and now rival until that moment. With one achievement unlocked, Jake immediately had his sights set on the next. Afterward, Jake said, This is a perfect result for me. Kento Miyahara, bring me the Triple Crown belt next time. No, I want you to put the Triple Crown belt on me. He went on, I owe you for the champion carnival, Kento Miyahara. We had the same situation at that time, didn't we? In the finals, we fought in a different format. Anyway, I won today. I'm still one win away from winning it all. I have fought Suwama, Kai, Ishikawa, and Kento Miyahara. I have only one more win. Do you think you can be satisfied with just one victory? The audience is not satisfied. And of course, I myself am not satisfied. I'm going to change the power structure in one fell swoop. I also really like this next quote from him because I think it gives you an idea of where he was in his own journey with self-belief and identity. He said, I think I improved a lot during this period alone, but I still have more things I need to work on. That's why this world is so interesting. I feel like I have become more and more self-driven. I want to get greedier. I want to pursue more strength, more prowess, and more of who Jake Lee is. Yeah, I I loved that quote so much. Um, It's such a a far cry from the person he was talking about in that Ozaki interview of how he was in 2011 and and when he um, left wrestling for that time period. Uh, You can really just see him falling in love with wrestling and, and what it is and wanting to succeed for himself, not just for fans. It's, it's just really a wonderful like sort of quote that sort of wraps up where he is at this point. I agree. And I think too, it highlights where he was here and that he's still trying to figure out who Jake Lee is and understand himself. And when you compare that to Kento Miyahara, who has known who he is since middle school, that's overwhelming. Is it not? Like that inherently plays into the rivalry of just Kento has known exactly who he is and what he wants. And he is so self-assured from childhood. And that is not Jake's story on a shoot level. And as a character. And it's, it's so important for people to keep that in mind. So the next singles match in their series at number nine is their triple crown match in Cork and Hall on October 24th. They're at this point arguably evenly matched for the first time in their careers. Jake is caught up to Kento in terms of in-ring ability and these two know each other innately. You get that sense in their last two matches, but you really come to see it in this one. They trade off punishing each other against the guardrails on the outside before getting back into the ring. It's Jake's turn to earn some warnings from Wada for keeping a hold on too long while Kento has the bottom rope. Though I'll note, Wada is far more patient with Jake than he ever is with Kento, which doesn't sound like I'm saying much, but Wada is more patient with Jake than he is with, I think, most people. Kento gets his gleeful revenge by dropping Jake neck first onto the barricades almost immediately after Kento also drapes Jake over the ropes to hit the drop kick. Kento is defiant and arrogant, trying to no-sell and brush off Jake's strikes. 
Jake sends Kento to the mat with a massive kitchen sink coming out of the corner. As much as Kento is, Jake is also landing the hits with ease, putting Kento through an effective Saito suplex. Jake manages to evade a German off the apron from Kento on the floor in this match, and he capitalizes by kicking Kento square in the chest. This kick apparently destroys Kento because he sells on the outside for ages. And for whatever reason, Wada delays counting for what feels like minutes, much to Jake's annoyance. He gets mad when he's standing in the ring. Kento gets back into the ring through Wada's weird generosity here, and Jake makes him pay for it with strikes and a leg lariat. Kento also continues to fall for Jake's strike feint, then, now, forever. You see it in just about every match they have in this series and will probably have in the future. Kendo starts to capitalize when he escapes Jake's backdrop attempt, hits Blackout, and sends Jake back into a German for a two-count. Jake catches Kento with a huge knee into the Dr. Bomb, and Kento kicks out. Where this match is most significant is that Jake kicks out of the shutdown suplex, a very exclusive club as far as Kento goes. Jake tries to put Kento away with a high kick and a backdrop, but Kento kicks out. They continue to struggle until Kento captures Jake in the shutdown suplex again. Jake puts up a pretty good fight, but Kento brings him back for the suplex and defeats him at 33 minutes and 19 seconds. I'm going to be very honest. Of their matches in the series, I do not like this one at all, aside from Jake kicking out of the shutdown suplex. The structure is the weakest, and it makes the least narrative sense coming off of Jake's massive achievements in beating Kento for the first time and winning Royal Road the month before. The long, drawn-out, and nonsensical Kento sell spot on the outside that Wada contributed to really mars this match for me. And this match has very little to do with Jake and everything to do with Kento, which means the wrong person comes off like a massive baby face here. We could easily have a much longer discussion about whether All Japan made a mistake not putting the Triple Crown on Jake at this mm. moment, particularly coming off all his momentum that had been built through his return in 2018, through 2019, his Royal Road win. But even in choosing to keep their story going longer, you could have Kento win here without sacrificing the narrative. And in the narrative, Kento is not the baby face when it comes to Jake Lee. Afterward, Kento took the mic and said, this is the pinnacle of all Japan pro wrestling. It's Kento Miyahara versus Jake Lee. Kento Miyahara in his 12th year as a professional wrestler has finally found a real rival. Jake Lee, as you may have noticed, is definitely a star. Two stars in the same place. The battle between Kento Miyahara and Jake Lee will continue. Everyone, keep an eye on those two. He also said, I wanted Jake's rise. I acted real tough and said I didn't want it. But deep down, I was really hoping for it. It's a question of who will carry the banner, who will take the lead, and whose values will become the values of All Japan Pro Wrestling. In a very real sense, I think the competition of who will stand out has begun. We're going to go back and forth to these types of comments as we continue on because Kento talks out of both sides of his mouth constantly when it comes to what he actually wants out of his generational rivals, especially someone like Jake Lee. This references Kento having referred, if you remember before, to Jake, Naoya, and Yuma as the new generation with Kento being slightly removed, right, and positioned above them as the ace. He quote unquote doesn't believe in uh, hierarchy, right? He takes this very gleeful sort of attitude that Jake has had to rise to meet him on his level. So you start to question whether how much of that is actually true when it comes to Kento. In November, Jake participated in Real World Tag League with Naoya Nomura, who was no longer in next stream by that point. And they went to the finals against Suwama and Shuji Ishikawa, Violent Giants, but lost to them on December 9th in Corrigan Hall. During Real World Tag League, Jake made the decision to disband Sweeper, and this was announced on December 17th. 
how Sweeper fell apart is really bizarre. <laughs> but essentially, Jake was still all Asia tag champs with Koji, but he wanted to team with Naoya and go for the world tag titles. But Naoya did not want to be in Sweeper and like him and Koji had weird tension. And then Ryoji Sai was working with Zeus, who was also not in Sweeper. So Koji had basically been starting to question why Sweeper existed. So at any rate, they dissolved the faction and then Koji, Jake, and Naoya formed Jin together on December 21st, which is how they closed out 2019. And Kento was still under Next Stream with Yuma at that time. You really just get this vision that Naoya just didn't like the name Sweeper. And I think that might be true. Yeah. Or at least that's what I'm going to operate with as the Yeah, because they could have kicked out Ryoji, but no, they had to go through a whole... Anyway. <laughs> it's honestly hysterical trying to read the backstage reports on it because, like, I cannot find... If anyone has a direct quote from Naya during this time period, please send it to me. I'd love the perspective because, like, I can't find why. It's always said, like, Naya didn't want to join. That's off. But he's also listed in every English wiki as being a member of Sweeper, but that was not true. Jake and Kento's 10th singles match was on January 3rd, 2020 in Cork and Hall. On December 9th, 2019, Jake and Naoya defeated Nextstream during Real World Tag League. Jake pinned Kento to a massive pop from the Cork and crowd, which is what prompted the title challenge. The match begins with a real struggle for control, but again, they just know each other so well. It's extremely difficult to take the other unawares. There's a lot of posturing, like when Jake and Kendo stand chest to chest and challenge each other to keep going. What I do like is that Jake leans into what he knows about Kendo and he finds ways to trap him, like darting out of the way at the last minute and causing Kendo to drive into the turnbuckle. Jake likes Kendo up with kicks all over the outside, forces a bunch of fans to get up out of their seats. Like he's going to put Kendo through the seats, but then he just bows to them. This is a much more overtly aloof Jake Lee, there's been a significant change in his character and affect. Kendo starts to come back with a drop kick, but once on the top rope, Jake hits a big boot to knock him off to the outside. Jake hits some of the sickest knees to Kendo, draped over the apron, and these two continue to play apron games until Kendo hits a nasty pile driver to Jake on the apron, and they both fall to the outside mat. For some insane reason, Wada helps Jake get up, <laughs> and Kendo is already back in the ring waiting to hit Jake with a running knee, looking absolutely unhinged. Jake gets Kento with another great leg lariat, which I pop for every time. While Kento is struggling to come back, the crowd is rallying behind him, and Jake gets so mocking. He's dancing around a bit and waving his fingers and toying with Kento. You can surmise that this annoys him, that all of this bothers him on some level. When Kendo finally stands, Jake just nails him with strikes to punish Kendo in front of the fans screaming his name because it's meant to feel like a punishment for the fans too. And that's when Kendo reacts. He gets mad. He rolls out of a kick, screams at Jake, and brings him back into a brain buster and some hard kicks of his own. Jake survives a shutdown suplex attempt with a kitchen sink and a DDT. After that, Jake actually stands, raises his arm in the air, and gives a very jumbo, oh, which receives a good reaction. A change to their regular routine happens when Kento goes to roll Jake up by bridging through his legs and Jake escapes and transitions into a sleeper hold. The crowd starts to feel a little more divided on the winner after a hard fought sequence with Jake landing a backdrop to Kento, which Kento kicks out of. Jake tries again for the backdrop, but Kento capitalizes with the blackout into the shutdown suplex and pins Jake at 31 minutes and three seconds. This match is fascinating for a lot of reasons, and we are going to revisit it in part two as well, because the post-match between Kento and Yuma is critical for their story. But for Jake and the context of the series, there was a true shift in him 
and his character work here. There is a bitterness to his actions and a real purposeful aloofness. Jake can't figure out how to crack the code when it comes to defeating Kento for the Triple Crown. He's failed now twice in a row. Kento is still the shining example of everything just out of his grasp. He's living in the shadow of the Kento Miyahara era as the crowd chants, Kento, Kento, Kento. Afterward on the mic, Kento says of Jake, Everyone watching today at the venue and on All Japan Pro Wrestling TV and Gaura TV probably thought that Jake Lee had 70% chance of winning. I felt that when he entered the ring. But the man who lost the MVP award last year, and he's referring to himself, has a lot of work to do in 2020. I'm sure you all know that Kento Miyahara is already the undisputed ace of All Japan. But in 2020, I will become the new symbol of all Japan pro wrestling, he's referring to the industry. Backstage, Kento said, all right, All Japan is a big whirlwind in Jake Lee. Without a doubt, people watching all over Japan must have thought that the era of Jake Lee had arrived, but it didn't go so smoothly, did it? It looks like it was difficult to defeat Kento Miyahara, the man the Japanese wrestling world has been watching with great interest. Jake Lee, your rivalry story has just begun. I wonder what will happen next, and what will the fans want next? Reading his quotes is absolutely unreal. (laughs) (laughs) you if you thought he was unhinged before i implore you to watch this entire backstage segment and just or backstage and like post-match segment and just marvel at this man because he's keeping in mind we're leaving out so much of what he said because i don't want to talk about it until part two (laughs) yeah no i I guess we'll serve that as a little bit of a teaser for you but but it'll be worth it trust me yeah, no, this is this is interesting. And I love how the fans come into play. And you've mentioned how the fans are um, such an active role in this story all the way to this point. And I mean, throughout the whole um, the whole thing, it's just it really speaks towards and, and to an extent, the audience is always a character um, in wrestling. It's one of the reasons wrestling is so cool. But um, all Japan's fans are a breed of their own. They really are. And um, watching these matches, you really get that sense and you get that feeling of like them taking this active role in the story and the way Kento sort of acknowledges that and realizes like, what will the fans want next really takes it to that next level and, and really paints a lot into their rivalry. Jake was also asked for her comment backstage. He simply said, I've lost on many levels i actually remember these comments from the time and i thought that they were kind of haunting honestly because that's all he said backstage and these comments would really go on to illustrate the type of year jake would have in 2020 on march 23rd 2020 jake and koji lost the all asia tag titles to yankee to kenju which is isami kodaka and yuko miyamoto in cork and hall the next several months to the backdrop of the emerging COVID-19 pandemic would be framed by Jake failing to get the right results. Kento lost the Triple Crown after 519 days to Suwama on the same show, bringing his fourth reign to a close. Now we have to jump forward in time, but before that, we have to touch on what happens between January 2020 and their next singles match in May 2021. On February 23rd, 2021, Jin, which at that time was Jake Lee and Koji Iwamoto, and Tajiri had a match against Anfans Tarib members Hokuto Omori, Kuma Arashi, and leader Shotaro Ashino. After several shows with some tension, Ashino was betrayed by his teammates and Yusuke Kodama. 
Ashino crawled to the feet of Jake Lee and tried to appeal to him, but Jake joined the members of Anfant in attacking Ashino instead. Jake also turned on Koji Iwamoto, who refused to support Jake's actions. Ashino was kicked out of the faction he founded, and Jin also came to a sudden end. Rachel and I have a super fun episode on all of this and more called Requiem for Total Eclipse with our wonderful friend Captain Lou. So please make sure you listen to that if you haven't already, if you want all the nitty gritty details of what that time period in the company was like. The new faction, Total Eclipse, formed out of the ashes of Anfans Tarib. The members included Jake Lee, Koji Doi, Kuma Arashi, Tajiri, Hokuto Amori, and Yusuke Kodama. Jake had said of the name, the moon cannot shine on its own. It's a reflection of the sun's light. The darker the sun, the darker and darker our presence becomes. Jake extended an invitation to Koji to reconsider and join him in Total Eclipse. His offer was refused, and after a tag match on March 14th in Corican Hall between Jake and Kodama versus Ashino and Koji, Jake was victorious over his former tag partner to end that storyline. Afterward, Jake told Koji, I'm going higher. Sayonara, Iwamoto. The anime villainy of this was palpable, but it was effective. And when you consider how long Jake stood in Kento's shadow, this move, while sudden and shocking, made a tremendous amount of sense. And Jake was probably planting the seeds as far back as their January 2020 singles match for a much darker turn to his character. A catchphrase for Jake during this period became the winner is justice, which more or less means that whoever is on top gets to exact their brand or idea of what justice means over all Japan, you know, their power over the promotion, a concept that would really resonate with Jake as someone who has felt so slighted and looked over by everyone during that time period. While Jake is on the come up through Total Eclipse, Kento is largely out of the Triple Crown scene for the first time in years, but he is World Tag Champions with Yuma as next stream by January 2021. And as I touched on before, so much of Total Eclipse and this chapter for Jake is affected by the circumstances around the pandemic. So when we arrive at their 11th singles match on May 3rd, 2021 in Corican, the final of that year's champion carnival, it makes all the sense in the world because Kento defeated Jake in the 2019 champion carnival. We have to run that back. It has to come down to the two of them again. And a win here for Jake would mean that he would be the one to face and potentially dethrone Suwama for the triple crown. And Suwama was in the middle of a massive 454 day reign. Unfortunately, Japan declared a state of emergency due to COVID just days before the Champion Carnival final, which meant that Kento and Jake's match was in a crowdless Oregon. Much like previous bouts, the beginning of this match is them trying to find a point of weakness within the other and capitalize quickly. Once Kento is able to bring it to the outside, his headbutts are pretty punishing. You forget super quickly there's no fans in Corkin because Kento is so fucking loud, to be honest. His screams and the retching from Jake sending him into the barricades are tremendous. Jake lands kicks and even a shoulder tackle to Kento's midsection, trying to wear down his core early on. Kento manages to keep it together through the retching and takes one of Jake's legs out before connecting with a drop kick to the head. With a cry of Kento, Jake sends Kento crashing from the top turnbuckle to the outside, and it's so apparent that Jake wants to hurt Kento. This is about punishing him as much as it is about getting past him and in front of Suwama. Jake manhandles Kento, bringing him back and forth against the ring apron and a barricade on the outside. Kento turns the tides in his favor when he lands a pile driver on the apron. They're so evenly matched after a tremendous blackout from Kento and a perfect leg lariat from Jake, 
Kento is holding himself around the middle. Jake's plan to wear down his core clearly working, but Kento is the one in this match who has to be defiant in the face of someone else's onslaught. And he slaps himself around the belly and challenges Jake to keep coming at him. Jake's forearm strikes are punishing and Kento inevitably falls for one of Jake's feints and eats a terrible strike to the middle for it. Jake lands two more kicks, one for a one count, and one just to hurt Kento, before Kento slaps the mat, stands up quite suddenly, and he finally looks truly frustrated. And for Jake, who has had to struggle in Kento's shadow for years, he's perhaps past the point where breaking Kento's resolve really means anything anymore. They trade strikes, exhausted, before Jake lands a kitchen sink for a two count. Despite his vulnerable state, Kento comes back with a German and a blackout to the back of Jake's head, but Jake keeps targeting Kento's middle with painful strikes. There comes a point in this match where Jake lands a knee strike, and then instead of going for the cover, he stands pointedly over Kento and shakes his head at Wada no, when Wada implores him to go for the cover. I love moments like this in wrestling because they're so revealing. This moment is about anger. It's about rage. It's never about winning. And it's a real gamble because every minute Jake stands there or continues to toy with and punish Kento is an opportunity for Kento to recover and make a comeback. It could have been a decision that proved fatal for Jake, as we've seen downed wrestlers come back and win when the wrestler in control doesn't immediately go for a critical pin. But Jake is angry. He's angry at the man who has always had it so much easier than him and again represented everything he couldn't have in his career. And they're there in an empty Corrigan at this pivotal moment in his career and it's not fair. And none of this has ever really been fair to Jake. So Jake chooses to pull Kento up by his hair, hit Kento with vicious knees, and laugh, though his tone of voice betrays no real humor. Jake attempts to put Kento away with a knee, and then his new finisher, the D4C, but Kento nearly rolls him up for a three count. Kento gets a new win, hits a massive blackout, and another huge knee, screaming, come on at Jake for a two count. Kento gets Jake back for the shutdown suplex, but Jake kicks out, sending the wrestlers at ringside into a frenzy. Kento tries again for the shutdown suplex, but Jake fights to the ropes and attempts a desperate rope break by biting the top rope. Kento drags him back to the center of the ring, but Jake breaks free of the hold, survives another blackout, and delivers a high kick to Kento's head, and then a kick to the back of Kento's head coming off the ropes, and then he gets Kento up for the D4C. With the pin, he defeats Kento to become champion carnival winner in 27 minutes and 48 seconds, his second win over Kento, and his first champion carnival win in his career. Personally, this is my favorite match of theirs, and I do think it's a modern classic despite the no-crowd Corican. It was a definitive and undeniable win to launch Jake into the next phase of his career. But the issues brought on by the pandemic raging in the background obviously put an incredible strain on him and the promotion. Unfortunately, this was not the last hurdle Jake would have to try to clear during this time period. We discussed this with Lou during our episode, Requiem for Total Eclipse, but with Jake's champion carnival win, he's up next to fight Suwama for the Triple Crown, and they're setting him up to be the one to end Suwama's monster reign. So this is critical. The match was originally scheduled for May 16th at Ota Ward and then got delayed to June 26th due to the ongoing state of emergency in Japan. However, six days before Ota Ward, All Japan announced that Suwama had tested positive for COVID-19 and would relinquish the Triple Crown. There are no words to this day for how crushing all of this was during this time period. Yeah, actually, I had just started watching the promotion, you know, full time when I watched this match, and I don't think I appreciated it quite 
um, enough and going through this and, um, you know, listening to your thoughts on it really drove home just how incredible this match is. Like, it's really a masterclass in storytelling. And I think a lot of people are going to be quick to overlook it because there was no crowd, um, which I, I did admittedly say the crowd is important to the storytelling of their rivalry, but that doesn't mean that when you take the crowd away, you lose something. You you really don't. You really just get a distilled version of Jake's anger and frustration um, towards Kento and his desperation to overcome him. And it's, it's really fascinating um, what that no crowd can really add to a match in a lot of ways. It's one of those things where it's such an incredible match, but the no crowd Corkin, it plays into the story, but it plays into the story because there's so much of who Jake Lee as a person in his real life mm-hmm. that is sort of playing into this, right? There's like these totally tragic circumstances with the with COVID taking away from his moment, finally, his shining moment, right? So it would be fascinating to see a different timeline where we would know what would we would have gotten if we didn't get the no crowd Corrigan, right? Like what that would have looked like and what it felt like. I don't think it would have felt maybe too much differently because so much of Total Eclipse is like Jake's rage at Kento Suwama. Like so much of that is built into what Total Eclipse was. But so much of his life circumstances and in these inherent moments of, of tragedy for him are sewn into this into the story, into what happened between him and Kento, into this time period. And it's just it's incredibly unique to him. I'll say that. The company comes back with the idea to do a Tomoe battle, which has been done once before during the 97 Champion Carnival final with Kobashi, Kawada, and Misawa. In the press conference and video package before the match, Jake, Kento, and Yuma were given the three belts that make up the Triple Crown as an act of symbolism. For their match, the first with two back-to-back pinfalls would become the new Triple Crown champion, symbolically uniting the belts once again. Kento and Yuma are first up, and Kento defeats Yuma, but he exhausts himself doing so. Jake comes out to fight Kento next, and while this is obviously a singles match between them, it's not technically considered so because it happens within the context of the Tomoe battle. It's important to talk about briefly anyway and that Jake hits the ring, and he looks so smug, and like he is Kento, exactly where he wants him. Like, the smile on his face, like, he just looks like he has Kento trapped, and Kento is selling um like he is exhausted i think him and yuma fought for roughly like 22 minutes or something it was a pretty long match and kento is selling uncharacteristically of himself like he just looks like he has been put through the ringer and is just sitting there in the ring waiting for jake to come out yuma just depleted him jake defeats kento in about 10 minutes or so giving him a pinfall to his name and that means that yuma has to be the one to come out from the back and that jake has to go through yuma to get the thing he has wanted so badly in the triple crown and you have to feel sorry for him when you see his face when he's looking at yuma in the ring before they ring the bell because you can see he doesn't want to have to fight yuma for this yuma shouldn't be there at all this inexplicably becomes a bit of first generation next stream drama that no one could have foreseen jake defeats yuma earning the second consecutive pinfall and becomes triple crown champion for the first time in his career Afterward, he says, life is a challenge. That's what our forefathers said. If you keep trying, look what happens. If you don't give up, no matter what it takes, you can make it happen. He was quoting Giant Baba and Jumbo Saruta there. Jake goes on to defend his belt against Shotaro Ashino on July 22nd in Corrigan Hall and against a returning Suwama who had won the 2021 Royal Road on September 21st, also in Corrigan Hall. When Jake is in the ring after defeating Suwama, Kento saunters out from the back. He's in the brown suit and he takes the mic. 
And he says, so it's finally here. I wonder how long it has been since I put myself forward as challenger. I don't remember. I thought this time would come someday, but I never thought I would be the challenger. Ah, you know, in any era, you don't need two leading men. In every era, throughout all the history of All Japan Pro Wrestling, there is only one true star. I'm sorry, Jake. This is my era. Wrestling fans and All Japan fans alike will have high expectations of this match. And when us two face each other, a new era will begin. The stage is set. October 16th, Ota Ward General Gymnasium, the star of the show, me. Kento leaves, thank God. And Jake says, I'll say it again. The current All Japan Pro Wrestling is me. Kento is so infuriating and almost downright duplicitous. He made such a show of naming Jake as his rival over time. And if you remember his comments from 2019, he specifically mentioned there were now two stars in the same place. Like he could encourage this relationship and rivalry between him and Jake for as long as it suited him for sport. And while he felt Jake was not truly a threat to him in his position in the company, but as soon as Jake surpassed him, there could be no longer two leading men in All Japan Pro Wrestling. There could only be one star. It's a fascinating contradiction from a man who spent so long maintaining he was supportive of the younger generation, but as it turns out, that support comes with a massive caveat. You cannot infringe upon the Miyahara Kento era. He's just such a ridiculous man in this in this whole segment, in this whole promo. It's I'm so glad you pointed out just the pure hypocrisy of it. Cause I, I translated a lot of this just sort of wildly out of order and um, seeing it all in order is, is so fascinating, but he is so infuriating um, <laughs> in that he, he's just so willing to put away everything he said, because this time it's for real almost, he's not playing pretend anymore. Um, he was building up and, and to go back to Jinsei, he was building these rivals, but now he's not prepared to what happens when you have built your rival and now you actually have one. Um, what is he going to do? Well, crap, now I have to put him away because he's a threat to me. It's just so fascinating and so interesting. And he's just he's such an interesting character. Yeah. And I also really liked, I wanted to note that he really put a lot of stress into him nominating himself and him coming out as a challenger and really just sort of gracing us with his And presence. he wore a suit. And he wore a suit. He did. Kensuke would have been very proud, actually. But mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, no, it's it's very, um, it's it's just very telling. This whole thing is so telling towards his feelings towards Jake at that point. And think about like their first match in 2017 together that for like that first singles match of that era and he extends his hand as the very gracious champion and jake slaps it away and he makes that very complicated annoyed sort of face and what is jake doing right here it's the same sort of thing jake is annoying the shit out of him that he has finally come into his own and he has the belt and he is infringing on now kento the kento miyahara era kento has to find a way now to to slap him back down right it's it's so it's so interesting. Kento is, uh, he can be very gracious and he can speak from that sort of uh, on his high horse sort of uh, positioning. But then if you do something that he doesn't like and that's going to infringe upon him as the star, he is very quick to turn. And it's it's one of the, it's one of the best things about him as a character, honestly. It makes him so compelling. 
Backstage, Jake said, finally, finally, I was able to convince myself that I could do it and put the belt around my waist. It's been a long road. The O2 War tournament was postponed from May. Suama came down with COVID and vacated the Triple Crown. And then with our roles reversed, Suama won the Royal Road Tournament. Well, I said our battle started in May, but that's not true. It started long before that. This was destined from the moment he brought me into All Japan Pro Wrestling. I am, I am, I'm glad I aimed to win. That's all I have to say about the Suama match. If I tried to talk any more about it, well, it would become very long. I'm sure you reporters would like to ask me questions about Kento Miyahara in the ring, so ask them. <laughs> it's funny. They asked him, Miyahara was chosen as the next challenger, and the, ne- and the match was made for Ota War General Gymnasium. Jake said, I was watching his match today. It was a number one contender match, right? I knew it was going to be Oda Ward. I knew whoever won would come challenge. That's what I hoped. This is what I hoped for. They said, the match is at Oda Ward where you first won the belt. Is it significant to have a match between the younger generation there? Jake said, history is already set in motion in big ways. From the moment I held this up, he said, we don't need two leading men. Yes, I feel the same way. Only one protagonist is enough. Only one leading man. I'm going to prove that. We think what Jake meant by this is what I hoped for was that Kento would be the one to challenge him. So making this all feel a bit faded, right? Faded rivals. I also want to call attention to him saying he was finally able to convince himself that he could do it and put the belt around his waist after this fight with Suwama. His story is still one of self-belief and whether or not he's found it. That all just comes down to him becoming the person he wants to be and the wrestler he that he wants to see himself as. It's just really fascinating to watch it all come together. That leads us to Jake and Kento's 12th singles match at Ota Ward on October 16th. This is their match that goes to a draw after 60 minutes, so I'm not going to summarize too much of it because it's just very long, and this episode is very long. But I do want to say that you are truly missing out if you skip this one. I know that Twitter has tried to say this match isn't good because it happened during an era where the internet wrestling community deemed long match is a bad thing but i promise you this is a very very good match and the result does not detract from their story this match is all the hits from the course of their series in the best way possible and there's some new stuff in here too and like we saw jake do in a previous match with kento's core jake does more targeted limb work in this making it a point to destroy kento's right arm which is really effective and makes jake look particularly malicious and Jake does use more straightforward grappling with Kento as he'd been training uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu with Carpe Diem in Tokyo for a minute at this point. But Kento's selling in this is second to none. And really, that has been a strength of this during the entire series is that he sells for Jake. You also got Kento Lariats in this, which if you're a connoisseur of Kensuke office lore, that rocks. And Kento is a master of ratcheting up the drama, especially when this gets into the final 10 or 12 minutes. This is classic Kento and Jake fair. But I always forget about the Wada ref bump, which comes from Jake, and Yuma threatening to throw his shirt in for Kento when Kento can't stand up for what feels like ages. I will say that spot is extremely reminiscent of the segment I don't like from their October 2019 match because within Kento and Jake's story, Kento is not the babyface, or at least he shouldn't be. And that spot is meant to make him feel like one inherently. It's harder in this match because Jake is actually the heel right now via Total Eclipse, but because of who Kento is to him, it just lands weird for me. And you just heard what Kento said to him going into this match. So Kento is not the babyface. But Jake pouring more water on Kento is kind of dope and funny. So what can you do? To quote Smiley, it's done. Personally, I don't find this match slow, aside from the spot with Yuma threatening to throw his shirt in for Kento. And I know that's been a common criticism of the match. 
And as we've talked about a lot on the podcast last year, and especially this year already, I think this match suffered from a lack of patience around the result. I've talked about feeling confused when I first realized Jake didn't win this one, but Jake treated this draw like he had gotten that much closer to his goal of defeating Kento in a triple crown match. And there is a slow burn tendency when it comes to these stories in All Japan. There really is something to be said for treating this one like another turning point and having patience. Ultimately, knowing what we know now, I am glad the win for Jake didn't occur here while he held the belt. Yeah, I feel the exact same. I feel the exact same way. Um, it's so funny. I Thinking back on this match, when I watched it, I was so disappointed that Jake didn't get like an actual decisive win and when you sort of we we sort of talked it over and and sort of viewed it as um jake taking you know the next step in um the rivalry and now whenever i'm watching rivalries in general or anything in wrestling my brain says the next step has to be a draw like um kaito and okada i think is my biggest one now where i'm like oh the next time they fight it has to be a draw because i have now sort of put it into this metric of uh kento and jake where it's like okay draw next and then we'll work our way towards a win and it's just really interesting how like that sort of thing kind of shapes you Oh, absolutely. I think that draws can be incredibly effective. I mean, like, I I am a fan of Maruken. Their 2008 draw yeah. is, is incredibly important to their story. And it's a very different draw than um, the draw here for Kento and Jake. But draws can be a way to build, a way to keep the story going. I mean, think about uh, Katsukiko and, and Keno. I mean, like, that draw... Um, is such a layer in their in their rivalry and their story, right? Like they're they're so evenly matched. Like who is going to come away with the victory after that point? It says so much. You can use you can use it as a storytelling vehicle in a lot of different ways, right? So yeah, I'm always sort of um, mind blown by the way that people react to this stuff now. But this match definitely suffered from it. Keno and uh, Katsuhiko's match suffered from it. These these occurred actually in like the same time period. Yeah, yeah. I call it draw season because of it, but um, yeah. both of those matches are incredible. So what can you do? Yeah. Afterward, Jake said he would aim to rebuild all Japan. And this was playing off of Kento's comments and Jake's comments about how a new era was going to begin um, once they met and faced each other. But because they couldn't beat each other in this moment, there was a sense that Jake needed to rebuild all Japan from this moment. So they couldn't achieve um, that height of beating each other in that moment, which I thought was interesting. As for Kento, he accused him of wearing a fake smile, playing off, I think, the hypocrisy in a lot of Kento's comments when it comes to talking about the new generation. And we're actually going to get into that extensively in part two. Now we jump ahead again to their 13th singles match on June 19th, 2022 in Ota Ward. Except this time, Kento was entering the five-time Triple Crown champion, having won the belt again in January 2022, after Jake had to relinquish it during his first reign due to an in-ring accident in December 2021, which left him with a broken orbital bone that required time away from the ring to heal. Jake, now teaming with Yuma and starting to lean away from Total Eclipse, pinned Kento during a tag match on June 6th, allowing Jake to challenge for Champions Nights 4. Jake said some fascinating, emotionally intense things in the lead up to this match. He tweeted, he, meaning Kento, became the best when I stood next to him and fought with him and when I left him and confronted him. However, 
I believe that Kento Miyahara is in the process of becoming the best and is not the best yet. I love that Jake was playing off of Kento's moniker, best of the best, and their long history together. He had also been tweeting, this is the last title match between me and Kento Miyahara. There will be no next time. And going into their match, Jake tweeted, tomorrow one story will end with another tweet following that read, now let's do what needs to be done. With All Japan's return to the Budokan looming on the horizon, I'm not sure many people, including myself, thought Jake would defeat Kento at Ota Ward. And then All Japan played an incredibly emotional and beautiful video package before their match that just outlined every step and every beat of this rivalry between them, which made everyone on All Japan Twitter lose it, I think, right before the match began. I think it was Lou in his review that said this one was a love letter to their entire rivalry, and I I completely agree with that. I do think this match benefited from Wada not being around, and I'm sorry, Wada, but it really allowed for less antics, which can be helpful when the stakes are this high. And you're not spared any barricade games in this. They've never seen a set of barricades they don't want to hurl each other (laughs) into. So um, you get that, and you get the callbacks to 2021 with Jake targeting Kento's middle and the stomps and strikes, and there's a body scissor at one point that looks really effective we get the Jake Lee moonsault in this. And that was new. And he started doing that in 2022 after he came back from the face injury. And it drove me nuts with anxiety every time he did it. I think one of the more iconic spots of this rivalry is the German off the apron from Kento. And you get that here, even if they don't complete it. And Jake lands a soccer kick instead, which is another facet of that. They've done that in the past as well. Kento gets off the power bomb, which I think is really impressive because of Jake's size, but Jake rallies by catching a knee attempt from Kento, kicking his legs out from under him and locking in the sleeper, which is a great sequence from Jake. We get another big Kento Larry in this, which commentary audibly reacts to. Jake does land a super nasty kitchen sink, and it's just like a holy shit moment in this match. They run the spot back with Jake needing to get a rope break by biting the top rope to avoid the shutdown suplex. Jake breaks free, survives Kento's blackouts, lands a few high kicks and a kick to the back of Kento's head, and then gets Kento up for the D4C to put him away at 27 minutes and 57 seconds. His third win against Kento and his first time defeating him for the Triple Crown, making that his second reign with the belt. Immediately after Kento Kobashi was in the ring to put the belt on Jake, and it was such a perfect crowning moment that had evaded him the first time. Afterward, Jake took the mic and addressed Kendo, and he said, Miyahara, I said you became the best because I am here. Now I say I became what I am now because you are here. Thank you. An incredible acknowledgement, right, of their relationship just on, on every level. Um, obviously, this moment was years in the making and closed a chapter of their story together. It's impossible not to compare Jake's palpable joy when he's walking around the ring with the belt on his waist after the match to what he looked like after Champion Carnival in 2021, where he looked haunted by everything that was that day, I think, for him. It's such a noticeable difference. And defeating Kento for him was always so much more than, I think, just about wrestling. It was about identity. It was about self-belief. And defeating Kento here gave Jake the ability to stand across from Kento in the ring and feel like an equal and truly feel like he belonged there as much as Kento did. And the thrill of finally seeing Jake through to that moment of ultimate catharsis years in the making is almost, is almost beyond words. I mean, this is like the great joy of being a wrestling fan, right? Is 
being with Jake in this moment and being seeing them both through this moment because they both change through the closing of this chapter. It's just um just extraordinary. I'm actually really shocked that this one isn't your favorite. The, the moment is incomparable. The moment is everything. Yeah. I mean, I can barely yeah, talk I meant about like it, the match in general. The yeah. match though, like it's if I'm really like trying not to be biased and I'm doing comparisons, there is nothing that tops the 2021 champion carnival match. I mean, that match was perfectly executed. Like it's that match to me is, is close to just being a perfect wrestling match full stop. That's if I'm removing myself from bias, but like when it comes to this moment, I mean, like there is almost like, I think probably because of when I became a fan, I saw a lot of Jake through this and it happened so suddenly. Like, I, I like again, like I don't think anybody thought this is going to happen for him here. So the way that it happened uh, was just so like, oh my god, like, like we, like we, we got to see this. Like, thank God we we got to see this finally happen. Like, there are no words for that. And just like in knowing, you know, this came in a weird year where like Kenta was out for six months after falling. A lot of weird injuries happened in 2022 like that we've just got to see something happen and have a perfect moment that was not interrupted by someone getting hurt or sick, that it was just them, that it came down to just them in the ring and it happened and Jake got to have that moment. And I don't even know if I, if I can really articulate, like, it's like, like it was really important to finally see him have this because he chased it for years. And because there were points, I think in his career based off things that he said, where you know, I'm going to read a quote later on. I don't want to read it right now, but I, there's, you know, he hit rock bottom so many times in his career. So that he got this is just, um, it's unbelievable. It's, you know, it's, it's a perfect moment and we get to at least have this perfect moment. Beautifully said. And now we come to the final, as of now, match in their series. Number 14 probably wasn't meant to happen at all which I think we talked about to death on Talking Triple Crown at one point. <laughs> but Jake went on to have a zero defense second reign, losing the Triple Crown to Suwama on July 14, 2022 in Corican. Royal Road begins in August and Kento punches his ticket to the finals. He wants the main event at Budokan badly. That is his dream to headline the Budokan. Jake was meant to face Naoya in the semifinals, but Naoya tested positive for COVID-19 and had to pull out. Jake fought to Kawamori instead, defeated him, and met Kento in the finals on August 20th, 2022 in Corrigan, a birthday treat for me. They are both peak themselves during this one. I'll tell you what. On the outside, Kento challenges Jake with come on before hitting a DDT on the mat and drops him throat first on the barricades almost immediately after that. Jake torments Kento with a body scissors, laughing the whole time. We got the pile driver spot on the apron, which is a really great Kento spot, honestly. Kento moves like a cartoon character through the air to set that one up, actually. It's really funny. <laughs> There's a forearm exchange. The big spot in this match comes when Jake eats a huge Kento knee in the corner and sells like Kento has killed him. Kento hits another knee, and Hokuto Amori at ringside is super concerned Jake is injured and out of the match. But never fear, he's actually doing Yuma's and also a younger Kento's fake knockout trick, and Kento is dumb enough to fall for it 100,000 times. But to be fair, Yuma on commentary also fell for it. Jake suddenly leaves back up and surprises Kento with a backdrop for a two count. Kento manages to rally with a huge lariat and even kicks out of the D4C. Jake goes for the moonsault, but Kento counters with a blackout and transitions into the shutdown suplex. Jake struggles, but he can't break the hold, and Kento pins him at 22 minutes and four seconds to win Royal Road and the right to challenge Suwama at Budokan in September. 
Afterward in the ring, Kento addressed Jake and said, Jake, you and me, we have some destiny. You and me, we will make all Japan bigger. For someone who has professed to not be sentimental, those comments get pretty close. There is such a shift here in how Kento is addressing him. He's speaking to him like an equal for the first time in their relationship, like a partner in the direction of the future of their company, in addition to acknowledging that they have a connection that will never be broken, even with one pivotal chapter in their story having come to a close in June. But another chapter would come to an end for them on December 7th, 2022, when it was announced that Jake would leave All Japan at the end of the month, his destination unknown to us all at the time. At a press conference to formally announce his departure on December 8th, Jake said of his decision to leave, I was absolutely determined to work for the company until the 50th anniversary, and I was not opposed to any conditions, or rather, I was working in accordance with them. But after the 50th anniversary, the circumstances had changed around me, and I decided to take another step forward. I only live once, so I wanted to take on a challenge. Jake had two more matches, one of which was a next stream reunion match on December 21st in Shinkiba First String. I'm going to save talking about that match in depth until the afterword of part two, when we have gotten through discussing Yuma and Naoya. However, I want to share Kento and Jake's post-match in-ring comments. Kento said to Jake, If you are leading the way in the wrestling world, then naturally there will be a reunion between Kento Miyahara and Jake Lee. However, I am a man who is on the cutting edge of the world. No matter where you go or what you do, I'll be running right here in the center of All Japan Pro Wrestling. So let's meet again in any time. Jake said, Those three guys, this organization, and now Jake Lee. As I said at the press conference, I am truly grateful. You only live once, and we're all going to die someday. I'm always thinking about that, and that's why I have to aim for the top. He also envisioned a future reunion with Kendo, Naoya, and Yuma, saying, we'll meet again somewhere, even if it takes a different form than it has in the past. When these comments first came out, the first thing that you connected these two was um, Jake talking about his regrets, um, that you only live once, and I didn't want to die um, with the regret that I... Um, didn't come back to wrestling back um, when he came back in 2015. So mm-hmm. I thought it was just really interesting that he comes back to that, like you you only live once sort of thing. Yeah, that seems to be a very powerful mode of thinking for him, isn't it? Backstage, Kento also said, and in addition, Jake Lee, I'm a man on the cutting edge of the wrestling world. I don't care where you go or what you do. As long as we are standing in a wrestling ring, we should be aware of each other. Once a wrestler is in the ring, it doesn't matter what organization or even unit they belong to. When they stand in the ring, they are all alone. It doesn't matter. Jake Lee, I don't know if it suits you to see me again, but as long as we are professional wrestlers, we need to be conscious of each other. And this is essentially Kento just screaming over and over again, you will never forget me. (laughs) Jake's final match with All Japan was on December 25th, 2022 in Corkin Hall, a tag match where he teamed with Yuma, Bushi, and Sonata. (laughs) Versus Kento, <laughs> Atsuki Ayagi, and uh, Yoshinobu Kanemaru and Tai Chi. Afterward, Jake hugged Yuma and Kento gestured for him to pick up the mic. Jake said, I started this year with an injury. And after all the talk of 50th anniversary this and 50th anniversary that, I got a kill in a matter of seconds at the Budokan. I've hit rock bottom over and over and over again and again. But even so, there's always the audience, all Japan wrestlers and staff. With everyone's support, I managed to climb back up. It was a year like no other. Thank you very much. Then Jake addressed Kento directly by saying, I think we will meet again somewhere as long as we are both wrestling. Champion, let's make things more exciting next time. And then he left Korokin to the rhythm of Kento, Kento, Miyahara, Kento. Kento's chant. 
there's a lot that I really like about these comments. One thing that I think you'll note if when you're kind of listening to this episode from start to finish, there's always a note of gratitude in Jake's comment. Even when, you know, he was talking about his debut in 2011, he talks about he couldn't have done it without the help of the staff of All Japan and the people that were helping him at the time, right? He talks like that a lot. He talks about other people helping him. There's so many other quotes I didn't even put in this outline where he talks about the support of other people is what helps him. And that's why fans are so meaningful to him. That's why All Japan staff is so meaningful to him. The wrestlers are so meaningful to him. So that note of gratitude there is is very noteworthy and, and palpable to me. That is inexplicably Jake Lee. And him, you know, we didn't even get into most of what made 2022 just a tremendously difficult year for him, but that he, you know, hit rock bottom again and again. But the people around him or who picked him up, I mean, I think that's significant. And we also talked about this on Talking Triple Crown, but there was debate on the the way that he left Kendo and whether or not that made sense or what did people really want to see? I think some people would have preferred maybe them to have a more emotional exit or did this make sense? I still maintain it makes a ton of sense. Again, Kento's not sentimental. So I think for the book, and Jake too, like he's a, Jake can, can be rather emotional, but not in a very overt way. So I think if they had hugged it out or something in the ring, it would have actually been really weird. I don't think you would see that kind of emotion from them unless uh, someone was ret- retiring. Like it would have to be like a really big deal for that sort of thing. This was completely in character for them. And that mocking with Jake Lee is it was so in character and such a throwback to other iterations of, of their relationship together. So I think this is perfect. And to me, it leaves the door open for more from them because they, they plan to be at the forefront of wrestling together and they want to, uh, to be conscious of each other, to use some of uh, Kento's wording, right? So I just think that this leaves the door open, that they're not they're not done with each other. And that's, I think, the most important part. Yeah, I was sort of on the fence um, when it first happened. I, th- I think I was more on your, like, the way you saw things. But um, yeah, that that's exactly what it felt like. It, it was sort of that uh, fond sarcasm when he started that that chant that just really feels like they're not done with each other and, and this will come back and this rivalry will be important for the rest of wrestling period <laughs> just mm-hmm. just for history no it, it it's um a very significant thing that they left it with so much that they can still revisit and i think that's a wonderful today we know that jake is a freelancer and his first sights have been set on pro wrestling noah where he debuted in the budokan on january 1st 2023 he has his own faction good looking guys and on March 19th in Yokohama Budokan, Jake became GHC heavyweight champion for the first time in his career when he defeated Noah's young ace, Kaito Kiyomiya. One of the best things about having Jake and Noah now is that the folks at Noah have been subtitling some of his backstages and video packages. Please seek these out because he is a very powerful speaker and he thinks very deeply about everything, let alone professional wrestling. In his most recent sit-down ahead of his upcoming title match against Katsuhiko Nakajima on April 16th, he was asked about how he felt about Noah as his main choice of Battlefield. Jake responded, I'm excited, but I feel nervous and curious. Many mixed feelings. I act in a way that makes me seem pompous, but I actually have a lot of different feelings every day. Well, I guess this is my way of surviving. Originally, I wasn't so strong and I didn't have a special skill, so I needed to think more than anybody. If I'm satisfied, I'm able to do nothing, even what I said. So I'm always driven by my anxiety. I often ask myself, are you okay with who you are? And some of that translates a little odd towards the end, but 
he's essentially saying that he's not going to rest on his laurels, that he literally can't um, because he's driven by his own anxiety. And this response reminds me so much of his comments from 2016 when he was talking about what strength meant to him and relating to Ryoji Sai, whom he said wasn't the most naturally skilled wrestler. He said you could clearly see his anguish and struggle and that human touch was the charm and strength of Jake Lee as well because the viewer can relate to him. Jake is so incredibly human. I don't know anyone who can't relate to him in one way or another, even if they've not thought of him that way. I don't know anyone who hasn't felt like everything that they are just isn't enough or that they're destined to be second best in whatever they do in their life or that they're just not strong enough, whether you interpret that as emotionally or physically, right? And then you have Kento, who I don't think is meant to be inherently relatable. He's the pinnacle, right? He's an anomaly in a lot of ways. His childhood wrestling heroes were all larger than life, completely over the top characters. And he has carried that into his own work. And at times, I think he is meant to look superhuman. Kento has the hallmarks of a prodigy, even though he technically started training later than maybe some others do. He got to work with some of the very best wrestlers in the world right away in his career. And he knew he would be a star and he made himself one. And he is uniquely designed to be in the position he is in today, a six-time Triple Crown champion and the face of All Japan Pro Wrestling. But even if you look at him as just a construct within the very basic story between these two men, he's every fear you've ever had about yourself and your own abilities and whether or not you'll be stuck watching other people about your dreams over and over again. I think it's a powerful story, even deconstructed this way. I referenced earlier in the episode that Jake visited the Korean school he grew up attending when he became Triple Crown champion the second time in June 2022 to speak to the students. And since then, Jake has spoken to elementary and high school age children at quite a few schools, including ones in Tokyo and Yokohama. I want to highlight this because it clearly meant a lot to him when he visited his own school with the Triple Crown. And he seems really proud that he is able to continue doing this type of motivational speaking with school aged Sainichi Korean children. Jake has also spoken publicly about nearing the end stages of nationalizing and how difficult at times that process has been for him. On Twitter in 2022, he said that if not for a lawyer he was finally able to hire, he would have given up again on going through the often long, complicated, and arduous process of nationalizing. During the press conference regarding his departure from All Japan in December 2022, Jake did give an update. He said, I am preparing to nationalize from Korean to Japanese for various reasons. I don't have an address in South Korea and I don't have something like a Japanese family register and therefore I couldn't get a passport so I couldn't go abroad for a long time. If all goes well, I will have an interview on the 13th or the 14th, that would have been in December, and if that goes well, I will get a passport as soon as I get Japanese citizenship. He mentioned at the time that he had hoped to wrestle in an overseas ring by spring or summer, so with where we are on April 13th, 2022, we're coming upon where that that goal um, might be for him, though because of the nature of how he is and who he, how he speaks, we have no idea what his, what his plans are, <laughs> so, and we, we won't know until he does it, so who knows, but... He is getting to the to the end stages, hopefully, of that process for him because it has been, again, long and arduous. And I want to make it very clear that what he has gone through just to get a passport in his life at 34 years old is unspeakable. Yeah, it's it's exactly that. And I really hope that we get to see him overseas and, and living out these dreams, which is really what it comes down to is how much he has um, struggled and crawled and gone through just to um, to live out these dreams and to become the wrestler he wants to be. And now seeing him 
in Noah, we're starting to get a glimpse of that. Obviously, he was his whole journey through all Japan, as you just beautifully outlined for us. And his journey with Kento is just all about self-confidence and being the wrestler you want to see and being the wrestler he wants to be. And it's incredible to watch him walk away, you know, chanting Kento, Kento, Miyahara, Kento. And he's, he's gotten there. He, he's sort of, he's figured it out. He's going on to this next path because all Japan and because Kento made him. And, and he said that, you know, in previous comments too, you know, Kento made me who I am and Jake made Kento who he was. And now we're starting to see that in other companies with Jake as the GHC champion and sort of really coming into his own and uh, living out his dream. It's just, it's just incredible to see. And I can't wait to see um, who these two wrestlers are and who they've become the next time they meet in the ring together, because they will be a little bit different, but once they see each other, it'll all come back. And I think it'll be a magical moment. Absolutely. I mean, you touched on so many incredibly important things about this rivalry. I think, you know, the most important thing for Jake is that in what he had to learn about becoming who he is today, right? Becoming Jake Lee, he could have easily, I think, been swallowed up by everything Kento is, right? And he didn't. He is he is Jake Lee by himself. And you are seeing in Noah Jake Lee by himself, not Jake Lee you know, who was made by Kento Miyahara. Like that's not people's first thought, I think, when they think of Jake Lee, which I think is really, really important and speaks to how vitally important this time period was for Jake and, and learning how to be Jake Lee, the man, the wrestler on his own, which can only come from his experiences working with Kento within All Japan. And I think that's a really important hallmark of good rivalries. And sort of to turn things over, you can really, I'd say you feel the absence of Jake Lee and in all Japan, but that doesn't come across, that comes across sounding like all Japan suffering for it. Rather, um, instead, we're actually seeing Pento back to sort of looking for rivals and hoping, you know, someone steps up to bat. So it's a very interesting, well, a little bit. No, you don't oh, think I so? I don't think so. No. Hmm. No, his comments in January were very, and that's why Yuma was so pissed at him before they started weirdly working together again. He said, I'm done bringing up the new generation. I'm going to do whatever I want. That inherently means that he's not looking for rivals. And we can argue through what he's, you know, the quotes that we've given you guys throughout this episode. I would argue that Kento doesn't really look for rivals necessarily. He's conscious and aware of the people in his generation, which is actually, there's some quotes that I've saved for uh, part two that I'm going to read, you know, to kind of contextualize around how he talks about Naoya and, and uh, Yuma. But he, uh, even as recently as 2020, he was saying, I don't really have a rival. I'm aware of people in my generation, but I don't really have a rival. And so he flips back and forth. Yeah. But I don't think that he's concerned about having rivals right now. I think that 2023 for Kento is is very much framed around this concept of I'm going to do whatever I want. And we're going to see what that, means to him and i think we're going to see him flip back and forth a lot yeah well, he has these important little relationships with people like yuma anzai and rio anyway but like how far is that going to go because the second one of them starts to get the better of him he'll turn on, on them as well 
Um, so yeah, he's a fascinating and complicated man and the way that he uses language is purposeful. And I think you can see that illustrated in this episode and we'll get into it in the next one too. Um, the things that he says to Yuma sometimes are unbelievably demonstrative of someone who um, is aware as a performer of how important the use of language is in building people. So we'll see a lot of that in part two, but yeah, Kento and the way he views rivals, it's a complicated thing. It's probably the most unique way anyone that we're going to cover in this series is going to look at rivals. And I look forward to hearing more about it. Thank you all for listening to and for supporting Kickout. If you haven't done so already, please consider leaving us a five-star review on Spotify or your preferred podcast platform. We're actually four away from 40. So if you guys could help us reach 40, that would be awesome. Um, it really helps us out and more people can find Kickout when you do this. Also for your professional translation needs, please reach out to Kana by going to Fiverr with two rs.com slash B-Y-Q-A-N-A. And if you would like to help us in our quest to have more professionally translated materials for our episodes, please go to our Kofi page. That's ko-fi.com slash kickout299. And for our work cited on this episode and more, please go to our blog, kickout299.wordpress.com. And if you need to get in touch with us, follow us and send a DM on our Twitter, kickout299, or email us at kickoutat299 at gmail.com. And if you're looking for us on Twitter, you can always find us at kickout299. You can find me, Rachel, at Milky Star. That's M-I-I-K-Y star. And you can find Alicia at Shiranui Kai with two eyes. We also have a link tree where you can find all the different ways to keep in touch with us. That'll be at linktr.ee slash kickout2.99. We also now have an Instagram where you can keep track of all of our latest releases as well. And that is at kickout299. For the month of May, we have a couple of episodes coming at you. And that's going to be on May 2nd. We have Next Dream Part 2 that'll cover Naoya Nomura and Yuma Aoyagi's relationship with Kento Miyahara. And we have an episode on FMW, and that'll be on May 16th. Thank you all so much, and we'll talk to you soon.